This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. This A's Cast download is brought to you by Link Soul. Go to LinkSoul.com and by Nest Bedding. Love where you sleep. Go to NestBedding.com. This is A's Cast Live, your comprehensive look at the Oakland Athletics. And the pitch is swung on, hit the right field, hit deep. Whitefield going back at the track over his head and over the wall. Do you believe that? And 29 other MLB clubs. Ramirez with a drive to deep right, away, back, goal! Go hey! It's a bomb out there by the Rocks. And boy, oh boy, this third inning is now showtime. It is a judgy in blast. All rise. Here comes the judge. Join us as we take you inside the baseball universe. From humidors to spin rates to game-changing moments, we have you covered. Spend your afternoon with us next from the town, only on A's Cast Live. Here's Chris Townsend. The big story today. Lawrence Butler has been one of the names that we've been looking at for the last X amount of years. And what was he drafted in? 17, 18, I think 18. It was a high school kid from Georgia. Yeah, Westlake. Westlake, yeah. Westlake High, something like that. Uh, Butler was Lawrence Butler uh, was drafted in 18. 2018, the sixth round. Got it. And, you know, we've been hearing about the athleticism. Give me the size. Give me his size. 6'3", 210. Got size, got speed, got athleticism. He's got everything that we haven't seen in years. When's the last time we saw just an athlete out in the outfield? And baseball Justin, or the A's? Uh, the A's, not baseball. They're all over. Yeah, yeah that's true. The uh, A's. I'm talking an athlete. Not Dallas Braden's pitchers are athletes thing, which I totally agree with him. But I'm, I'm talking about a real athlete. I'm talking about a thoroughbred. I'm talking about when this man runs out to the outfield, you go, damn, he's got size. God, he can run. Look at him throw. This guy's a thoroughbred. He looks like he li- you line him up, he looks like he can win the race. When's the last time the A's had a guy like that? None that I can really think of. It's been a while. Especially this a homegrown guy. This isn't a guy he traded for. I don't care where he came from. You're talking 6'3", 210, can, can flat out play. And I'm not trying to oversell it. He could just be up for a few days, which will be a crime. And he may struggle. That's fine. But when is the last time the A's brought up a guy that you go, wow, this is an athlete. This is is a guy that is a full package kind of guy. I'm waiting. Text David Feldman. When's the last time you've seen this? 
Again, How far it, back do you got to go? It's been a while. Where you just say, man, 6'3", 210, run, throw, power, I mean, everything. This guy is an athlete. You raised a thoroughbred racehorse, and he's going to be on display in our nation's capital. And they got some good young players, too, now. Uh, well, C.J. Abrams leading off tonight in that Juan Soto trade. Hey, by the way, the guy who's playing short tonight for the Nationals is the guy that turned Este Uri Uri's into an outfielder. Because the Padres, back in the day, had what was called the number one system in baseball. And... These guys, part of the guy, part of the guys in the trade for Juan Soto were in were in that trade. Well, it's the guy who's leading off tonight for them playing center field, uh, playing shortstop, is the reason why Ruiz went to center field because Ruiz was in that group, and they realized he can't play with these guys, so we got to find somewhere else for him to play. And that's why he went to outfield. They have some. The Nats actually have some good young talent. They have Joyman. I mean, he's not young, but he's young and playing. Playing time years. Joey Manessis is a nice younger player for them. They got uh, Lan- uh, Lane Thomas, who should have been an all-star, but he wasn't. Uh, K. Bear Ruiz, who's a catcher. He can't throw anyone out, but he has a good bat. The numbers on that, it's Ruiz versus Ruiz in this series because he has caught just 16 of 100 base dealers. That's, uh... And they've allowed 84 stolen bases so far this year, the most in Major League Baseball. So you know what, SD? It's time to get your track shoes on. I want it, you know, what, three games set? Six stolen bases minimum. They two. can't throw you out. So you just got to find a way to get on, and they can't throw you out. That's uh, that's two a game. I think that's doable if he gets on base that many times. Which He's shown he has a tendency sometimes to get on base that many times in a series. Well, that's the biggest question for him is how does he get on base if he doesn't hit? He doesn't walk. But so. what I like about today, and maybe we'll see tomorrow, and we have no clue about Sunday. And I know we'll take your phone calls about it at 833-625-2278 after the game on the clubhouse show. Is let these young kids play. Finally, finally, finally. There's only one thing that I can't stand about the lineup today. I can't ask Mark Kotze about it because we we interviewed him earlier today. Seth Brown playing first base and Tyler Soders from DHing. It's just like, what are we doing? What are we doing? Well, we want to win games. We want to win games every day. You want to win games every day? If you want to win games every day, you would have never pitched Danny Jimenez against the Texas Rangers. Don't make the Danny Jimenez move and then tell me you want to win every day. And it's my belief that by playing these young guys and letting them gel together, you have a better chance of winning every day. You've had a better chance with them figuring it out and getting better together as a unit. You'll win more games than the randomness, the chaos that you put out there every day. Seth Brown doesn't play first all spring and it takes him 80-something games, and now you start playing at first base. That's chaos. That's not what winners do. Danny Jimenez hasn't thrown in months. You've got a two-game winning streak. Kirby Sneed can't field his position, ties the game up, but you're tied against the Rangers. 
You win this game, you've won three in a row, feeling good about yourself. What do you do? You bring in Danny Jimenez, who throws his first fastball. If it's 60 feet, six inches, he throws it like 55 feet and then has no confidence in it and then has has a bad breaking ball that they just keep filleting into right field and tattooing. So if you want to win every day, be – I mean, you know, we're watching. We're looking at it. And then, by the way, the next day you sent Danny Jimenez down. Is that a winning strategy? I don't think so. I'll answer it for you. Okay. I was going to say no. but Yeah. Took the words right out of my mouth. I just want to make sure you didn't. But right, am I am I wrong on that? Like you should Danny Jimenez needed a soft landing at best, and you put him in a game that you not had a chance to beat the Rangers. That's three straight. You're talking about the young guys starting to feel it a little bit, as our good friend Dennis Eckersley would say, feeling yourself. Start feeling yourself a little bit, and you throw Danny Jimenez out there. Now you got once again instead of Soderstrom, hey, Ryan Note is out. I talked to Noda. So now, I'm not going to say anything that is, I'm stepping across the line here. I, you know, I'm a big Noda fan. I've been I've been on Team Noda since spring training. Sp- spring, since spring training, and I've come to find out he was one of the untouchable guys. By the way, at the training deadline, Noda has a is a freak thing with the jaw. And it's the type of deal that it could get re-injured real quick. So you really got to, like, see how it heals, how you decide. Like, like he's gone down to Arizona. He'll mark, hear, hear Mark Kotze say that. But he can't get hit in the same spot. Then you're talking about wiring the jaw shut for, what is that, like six weeks, seven weeks, something like that? I, yeah, yeah, somewhere around there. It's a great diet plan. Yeah, that's true. You want to lose weight? Yeah, you have that old the old the old jaw wire. I can't even imagine how miserable that must be. Because you you'd essentially have to eat everything from a straw, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah that'd be terrible. Can you imagine? Like you're just some people might like it for us, for me, but no, I can't imagine trying to sleep with my you know you try and open your mouth. I can't even imagine. I think it'd be easier for people. Pain. Oh. Younger people like you know Noda and myself, like our age group. I think it would be easier because uh, everyone just texts everybody anyway. No one talks face to face or in person, so communication might be easier. No, Noda's a talker. No, my guy Noda is a talker. But with Noda being out, you've had an opportunity to play Soderstrom every day at first base, and you haven't. That's just I. I don't get it. I don't get it. But. I love the fact that tonight you're seeing Ruiz, Blade, and Butler all in the same outfield. I don't know. My crystal ball, I told you, we need to get a crystal ball. Got to get a crystal ball. We got to get to the crystal ball. We're both prime members. Well, our wives are prime members. Yes. <laughs> Text my wife. Tell her we need a crystal ball. She'll be here by Monday show. I can't tell you what my crystal ball sees. But I want to let these guys, this opportunity, please let these three roam the outfield for the next month and just see. And if at any point somebody is overmatched, I mean, Ruiz is not overmatched. Blade has to prove he can hit. We watch him and we go, I like it. 
But, you know, you can't hit 200 and stay in the big league. So, Bladé's got to prove he can hit, and that's the opportunity you want. This is what J.J. Bladé wanted. He wanted an opportunity. Can you play at this level? Here's the opportunity. And let Butler play. Let Butler play. Let these three guys, because I can tell you, we have already seen with our data, our data has gone up with Geloff and Soderstrom. I mean, Geloff's the fastest A ever to six home runs. Geloff has shown you nothing, and Mark Kotze is going to tell you the praise that they have for Geloff right now inside the organization. I mean, if you're watching Zach Geloff, you're watching somebody. Here's another guy. When's the last time this team's called up a guy and you're like, damn, this guy can play? This isn't what we saw down in Stockton or down at San Jose when Stockton was there when we were there for the Ports Giants and we saw Zach Geloff was a third baseman. This guy, bigger, more mature, dynamic as hell. Geloff is as dynamic as you get, man. Foul pole to foul pole power, tons of power the opposite way. He's big. He can run. He has six steals. As long, He's everything you homers. want. When's the last time a guy came up from the A system and you were like, damn. I got to tell you, Matt Chapman was a strikeout machine. Matt Olson up and down and up and down and up and down and up and down. Murph didn't hit. Marcus didn't hit at first either. Marcus, no, Marcus Marcus had big league time. He came over in the uh, Samarja trade. Did, did he play a lot, though, with the White Sox? Yeah, he played in, the, played in the outfield, played in the infield. This is a guy that's never played in the big leagues. Yeah, he I – li- I like what I've seen from Gallup. Uh, I'll ask you this because I didn't get a chance to ask you the other day. The A's rookie record for second baseman for home runs is 14 by – Scott Spezio. Does Scott Spezio? Does Zach Galloff get that? You mean Angel O2 Hero Scott Spezio? Yes, that that same guy. That guy? Yeah. Wasn't he in a band or is he still in a band? Uh oh, good that's a good question. I don't know. But he has a rookie record of four with fourteen. Fourteen. Wow. I, I try to do the on pace, but it's How is that possible? McGuire had the all time rookie, rookie record. Rookie second baseman. Oh. I was gonna say McGuire had forty nine. Yeah, that's that's a big deal. Did McGuire play second base some? (laughs) Put his big ass over there. Imagine Mark McGuire playing second base. That that record did stand until, well, polar bear. Um, What's going on with the polar bear? What, what, I mean, this dude's hit more home runs than anybody since, what, 2018, 19, something like that? Yeah, and what's he doing this year? The Mets stink. He's hit a ton of bombs lately. 35 home runs, he's in 227. He's hit 35 home runs, though. That's pretty impressive. He's got an 854 OPS. Come on. Uh, a 133 OPS plus, I'll take it. There's times we'll all take the batting average. I'll go, hey. Uh, the only guy, I think the only guy ahead of him in the American League at first base with home runs and RBIs is Matt Olson. I mean, at some point, by the way, Kyle Tucker is tied with Matt Olson for the most RBIs since the All-Star break. Kyle Tucker. A good player for people sleep on him with Houston. Wow, a good player. He put the batting gloves on and he's unstoppable. I'm going to steal something from our good friend Tori Lavelle that I heard today. He's a professional baseball player. So Tori said about Tommy Pham, professional baseball player. How does that how does that work out? <laughs> he's a professional baseball player. That's what that's what Kyle Tucker is. Doesn't anybody who get paid? <laughs> 
is a professional baseball player? Yeah, well, I mean. I never got paid to play, so as just a college player, I was always an amateur. You were just a college baseball player. Amateur baseball player. If you actually get money, if someone gives you money to play, you are now a professional player, and you no longer have amateur status. But Tommy Pham is the one guy who's a professional player? That's what I heard. That's what Tori said. And See, now you're confusing me because I still haven't been able to figure out what a professional hitter versus a hitter is. <laughs> well, that's like me. I'm, I'm confused what a professional baseball player versus a baseball player is. Well, Mark Kotze has said Zach Geloff is a baseball player. I know, but he's but so he gets paid. So what are the other 25 guys then? <laughs> yeah. If he's a baseball player, <laughs> what are the other 25 guys? Just guys in uniform? I, I think so. Huh. Back to Butler. Bring it up to Fran. Maybe Fran can answer that question. Yeah, Fran. Can you tell me the difference between a – are you – I mean, you get paid, Fran. Are you a professional manager? Or are you just a manager? What What are you? <laughs> you know what, Fran? you got to help us out here. What is the difference between a professional hitter and a hitter? You should ask Dan O'Dowd that, too. Because are your hitters not getting paid, just the professional guys getting paid? Maybe you can Just throw Dan out. off when he comes on. Dan. Nobody circles the wagons <laughs> like Fran Reardon and the Las Vegas Aviators. Oh, we got a, I got a great question today. Whenever I get a chance, and the funniest thing was our post-game show on Wednesday. So, A's with the win, avoid being swept. I will say this. This Orioles streak of not being swept since Adley Rushman got there, I got to say it's kind of impressive. Yeah. And, like, you look at the list of all the teams that they're with, it's all yesteryear. T- I mean, it's 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 hard to not have a. I mean, that's basically you've never lost three in a row. Two gamers don't count, right? No, another streak. I think it was a three-game sweep. Two-game yeah. series. What is it? It's don't like count. seventy-six or something. Seventy-six it's in the 70s. series. Yeah. Are, are are you with me on that? The two game, like saying we swept the Giants over the weekend is like. Eh, I mean, as much as I want to crap on them, uh, I can't say we swept. You can't. It's a two yeah, games. Yeah. It's almost like uh, it's almost like back in 2020 when we had the seven inning that one but Mad Bum had the seven inning no hitter. That's not a no hitter. Yeah. I have a seven inning no hitter. Doesn't count. Was it against Giambi or Kotze? No, it was an AJ all- Hinch. It's an All Star game in Cold League. All right. <laughs> um, so we're doing the show on Sunday. I'm at NBC. I was Brody Brazil for the day, and the great Brody Brazil, who is healthy, we've seen him. He is okay. Yeah, we saw him, what, fr- It's just been freakish stuff. He's what, fine. He what, looks great. When did we see him? Uh, did see him? Tuesday or Wednesday? Yeah, Tuesday or Wednesday, yeah. Yeah, Tuesday or Wednesday. He's fine. He's fine. So you were in for, you were in for Brody on Wednesday. I was in for Brody yeah. on Wednesday. So I hopped on with you and Jess on the postgame show. And, yeah, I took some shots at the Giants because that's what I do. It, there shouldn't be any secrets to anybody. I have an email somewhere in my house from my old program director, Bob Agnew, when I worked at KMBR for the 2002 World Series, I was on the coverage. I hosted the Giants pregame show for game one of the World Series against the Angels with Ralph Barbieri, Bruce McGowan, Larry Kruger, and myself. I was in studio. That's a who's who. McGowan and Barbieri were in Anaheim for game one. Kruger and I were back in the studio. I was basically Jason Kidd. I was just passing the ball around to everybody. 
And my program director sent me, can you just act like a Giants fan for once? And I was on the Giants flagship station. <laughs> so I've been, I, I've been crapping on these guys since even when I was on the Giants flagship station. And I will crap on them some more today. But I, I threw out the whole thing about the weekend, and immediately somebody hits me up on Instagram. I've never posted oh. on Instagram. <laughs> never. I have an Instagram account because I follow food and golf. That's it. I follow people. It's either golf tips, golf Great golf coaches, golf stuff, or food. Great chefs. You know, you get, you get unbelievable recipes on Instagram. And they show you how to do it. It's great. That's it. And some dude tried to follow me and then went after me. And I'm like, wait a minute. You're telling me a Giants fan was listening to us on A's cast, postgame show, heard me clowning on the Giants, and then immediately reached out to me on Instagram? And I don't even know how you find me on it. I don't even know what my – it's been so long. I'd probably just search your name. Yeah, but it's not like Chris Towns and Oakland A's. Or it's just – it's like some random – I don't even know what it is. But, yeah, came and wanted to DM me, and and I sent it to you immediately. What kind of world do we live in that a guy – a Giants fan is listening to our show and then tries to come at me on social media? The best part is it could have been someone at NBC Sports that – this doesn't like you. Ooh, that could be a good one. Do we have Tom, Tom Hamilton, legendary voice of the Guardians. Friend of the program. Friend of the program. We've had him on for years. One of the nicest guys. If you ever watched, as you know, I'm a big college sports guy. If you ever watched Big Ten Network, he was on Big Ten Network for years. He was one of the original guys of the Big Ten Network. He goes Howard Cosell. Now, we all are not old enough to remember didn't watch it, but down goes Frazier when Foreman knocks down Joe Frazier, and Joe Frazier's the heavyweight champ. Down goes Frazier, Howard Cosell. He, and this isn't scripted, right? Like, all of a sudden, Jose Ramirez, I have a lot to say about Tim Anderson, because you know I've never been a big Tim Anderson fan. And a lot of people have defended this guy. And you always had to be like, "Mm," when you knew behind closed doors, there's a lot of players that don't like Tim Anderson. And when that – guys, everybody remember when Tim Anderson was the, I don't like playing baseball. I don't even like doing this. You guys remember that? And people crapped on him, and then people got angry for people getting angry about him saying that. Well, behind closed doors, everybody knows he's not the greatest guy. And I loved how today on MLB Network they actually put up all these different altercations he's been in, realizing Tim Anderson isn't the greatest guy in the world. And why people defended him, it's unbelievable. And finally, someone knocked his ass and shut his mouth up because he's been popping off to a lot of different people. This thing between the Guardians and the White Sox has been going on. And Jose Ramirez put him on his ass, and it was great. It's great. But Tom Hamilton, this isn't scripted. Listen, all of a sudden, Jose Ramirez, sli- Jose Ramirez slides in. Tim Anderson, it, it, Jose Ramirez is in between his legs. The altercation starts. Play it. Here it comes. A swing and a smash to first by the diving Vaughn. Down the right field line. Kicks into the corner. Ramirez on his way to second. Head first slide. Safe and in to score is Jimenez. And another hustle double. Right over the bag at first. Now Hosey and Anderson square off. They're fighting. They're swinging. 
Johnson. Ramirez went in with a head first slide. Hosey never gets upset about anything. They came up chewing. Anderson squared off. Hosey decked him. <laughs> it's a 5-1 Chicago lead, but everybody from the dugouts and the bullpens congregated around second base. You never see Jose Ramirez get upset like that. And Tim Anderson was on the wrong side of that punch. All right. Terry want, Francona was really good after it, too. <laughs> I want to tell you, that's baseball. That's how baseball is supposed to be played. I'm not advocating for violence. But I'm telling you, we have done everything we can to take physicality out of the game of baseball. And it's not good for our game. Because you know what? That right now has been the number one thing in our game. Not Shohei Otani, and he's a two-way player, and Aaron Judge is back, and all this kind of that. Because we, as American sports fans, we like it. We like contact. We do like violence. That's why the NFL is king. That's why UFC continues to grow and grow and grow. We like it. We like blow-up plays at home plate. We like middle infielders being taken out. All this stuff that they've taken out of the game of baseball, we as fans like. And you know what? We like altercations amongst our athletes. And you know what? It's tough. Like, here you had Tom Verducci today, friend of the program, great writer, great broadcaster now, as he's hosting for Brian Kinney on MLB Now, and... Ruben Amaro Jr., once again, he was a player, he was a coach, so he's been in uniform as a player and a coach, and he was a GM. He just goes, I like it. And Tom Verducci says, you're not advocating for this, are you? Yeah, I like it. This is what it's about. It's sports. It means something. It's rivalries. It's what what? It's when they try to take fighting out of hockey. Hockey fans didn't like it because it's, it's the physicality is a part of of the game and when you've got a guy out there who acts like a punk at some point you have to allow the players to police themselves and i'd rather have guys square off like that than have pitchers throwing 100 miles an hour at guys heads that's i'd rather have that i'd rather have what they had than have have guys because all you can truly alter somebody's life throwing a ball 100 miles an hour at somebody's head Allow them to square off. You want to go? Let them go. And I'll tell you what, if anybody knows anything about fighting and if you've ever been in a fight and you watch Tim Anderson, boy, his tough guy card just got, not not him, not just him getting knocked on his butt, but the fact that when you throw the first punch of a fight, you better land it. And when Jose Ramirez, Jose Ramirez, face was right in front of you and you could square him up and pop him it may have been one of the worst right hands I have ever seen thrown in a fight it makes you show Tim Anderson who's been walking around like a tough guy all these years he really is he not only missed him once with a free shot 
Jose Ramirez ducks his head, which is also the dumbest thing you could ever do in a fight. He ducked his head, which is a nut. So it shows you both these guys really don't know how to fight. He ducks his head, which Tim Anderson reloaded to hit him again and missed him again. You had two free shots at a guy. You miss him. And then if you watch this roundabout, weak right hand, he hits him with the side of his knuckles. He doesn't even hit him dead on. And he just clips your chin and you go down. Down goes Anderson. Wow. Down goes Anderson. I'm not trying to talk like a tough guy at my age anymore, but if I win my younger days, Jose Ramirez drops his head like that, I'm, I'm pelting him. I mean, you just see both. It's, but you know what? What's the number one thing everybody's talking about? The brawl. Okay. By the way, where's where's Chicago in the standings? Uh, they're, what, the second-to-worst team in their division? Where's Cleveland? Uh, not in the playoff race. They're in second, not even close to the play. What's everybody talking about? Tim Anderson and Jose Ramirez. So we're not talking about Yankees, Astros, which we should have been talking about. We're not talking about, hey, these Rangers are undefeated since the trading deadline. Oh, hey, by the way, the Angels can't win since they made their deals. The Cubs didn't do anything, and now they're hot. By the way, the Dodgers just took three or four from San Diego. Bo Mill and the Padres, you're gone. I mean, there's all this stuff going on in our sport, and what are we talking about? We're talking about a fight because you know what? We like it. We've policed it. We've gotten rid of it, and I don't know if that's good for our game. Boys will be boys, as Terry Francona said, but you know what it does? It brings the physicality into our into our sport, right? We want to see blow-ups at home plate. We want to see guys taken out of set, and we're, oh, we don't want anybody to get hurt. Well, you know what? Injuries are the part of the game. Last time I checked, player, we 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 have less contact than ever before, and we have more hurt guys than ever before. I don't have data to bring that up. But I don't well, have data to prove. Well, I mean, the Rangers had six All Stars. Don't them. let don't let don't let facts ruin a good story. So what I'm saying here, we got more guys hurt than ever before, and we have less contact. Explain that. Uh, I can't, but I can explain to you a couple things that are breaking off from this story. Apparently, Jose Ramirez tried to reach out and apologize to Tim Anderson, and Tim Anderson won't respond back to him. And uh, the Guardians' A-ball team is letting fans named Tim sit on the grass for free, hosting a punch-out competition and more. <laughs> that goes with we forgot to bring it up. You had it. I my, my fault. The Jake Burger, $5 burgers <laughs> in, in, in Mar- yeah. for the Marlins. Yeah, that was, that was a good story. I, I think they won that game, too. They won 9-8. They came back to win. Jake Burger, the Burger hit a home run. I think he might have hit a home run in that game too. I remember he hit a home run one he, of the first games. I saw games. him hit a home run one of the highlights. Oh, Marlon stink. What was it? Was it burgers were five bucks? Burgers were five. They're originally like thirteen, and they knocked on the price to five. Because uh, there's so much stuff that I got sent from about all this stuff. What's going on with Jose Ramirez? And you know, now they're saying that Yasmani Grandal apparently wanted to leave early, and and uh, Tim Anderson used an expletive, but he said, you know, I'll I'll pay for him to, to fly home, and I guess. The report was Grandal walked up and slapped him in the face. Now Grandal saying that never happened. You got Kenyon Middleton, who got just got traded to the Yankees from the White Sox, talking about how bad the culture is yeah. and the, Yan- our, and our the guy, White Sox clubhouse. Our guy Jesse Rogers from ESPN broke that story. He was on MLB Network today. Uh, Jesse Rogers has come on our program for years. I think the last time we had him on was – at the winter meetings in San Diego, we play the we play the Sox in Chicago soon. So we'll yeah, get we got to get him on. Uh, he, he did. He he was great today on television. There were, the suspensions were handed down. Tim Anderson six games, Jose Ramirez three games. Some reason Emmanuel Classe got a game. 
Uh, Tito. Kopech got uh, fined. Uh, I didn't see that. I just saw the suspensions. Yeah, he got fined. Tito got a game. Uh, Pedro Grafal, the the manager of the White Sox, got a game, and there's one other person. Who? who? Yeah. Pedro who? Uh, Can we play Terry Francona? Because the first five seconds of the – Pedro Grafal, if you're the manager of this disaster – and this ESPN exclusive from Jesse Rogers, once again, front of the program, basically says, no rules, there's no rules, there's no accountability, and they have a problem that I think we have the same problem. And I think a lot of teams in baseball have this problem. So we've got all these coaches, and none of them work for the teams. We've got throwing coaches. We got a hitting coaches. We got strength coaches. We got all these different people that work with the players, right? Even in the minor leagues, we've got hitting instruct, roving hitting instructors, roving pitcher pitching. We got roaming base, right? And then all of a sudden, these guys come up to the big leagues, and none of them know how to actually play. You got to know how to play the actual sport. I mentioned this in the post-game show, and I'm going to mention it here now. Everybody is infatuated with the process, how you hit, how you reach velocity as a pitcher. Everybody, your barrel rates, what you are on track, man, Hawkeye, all, Rap Soto. We're all worried about this data and the process of trying to make players better. The problem is they don't know how to play the actual game. They don't know how to play the game. They don't know how to run the bases. They don't know what bases to throw to. They don't understand situations. They don't know how to line themselves up. They don't know how to read pitchers. They don't know how to do the basic things you need to do to win games. So to know that I'm not full of crap today, I went to our manager today, Mark Kotze, before I said, Kotze, I'm going with this today because Joel Sherman talked about this, about the White Sox. Joel Sherman Longtime baseball writer, New York Post. Recently, the White Sox were in New York, and everybody was sitting there watching them. They go, these guys could give a crap. Like, these guys have already mailed it in. Season's not even close. Like, no one's accountable. No one's working out hard. And it just makes you think about all we care about, how hard does a guy throw? Does he get anybody out? Can he throw strikes? I mean, we had two guys picked off yesterday. How are you getting picked off? in baseball right now when you know the pitcher can only throw over a couple times. Everything is set for you to steal bases, and you're getting picked off? We got guys throwing the wrong bases. We got guys who play like they just have no clue how to play the game. So you wonder, okay, I got it. I got a swing coach that tells you how to hit it or just how to hit it really hard. Well, guess what? You're not facing a pitching machine in the game. You're not facing a guy throwing BP. I can go down, there's a, down not far from where we live, down in Morgan Hill, which is the Bay Area, if you didn't know. It's in Santa Clara <laughs> County, you idiots. Uh, there is a total, there, I mean, everybody's like, of course it is. There's people go, Morgan Hill's in the Bay, Gilroy? All right. Uh, <laughs> learn geography, folks. Learn. As a former Morgan Hill resident, I was offended when people tell me I didn't, I didn't live in the Bay Area. Okay. There is a throw tank down in Morgan Hill. Correct. That just teaches kids how to throw harder. They, they're not throwing strikes. They're getting Tommy John, but they throw harder. I just, at some point, you have to teach me. It's like football. I worked in the NFL for years, folks. 
I got paid by an NFL franchise, too. I worked for the Raiders, and I covered the Raiders and worked for the Raiders. I worked around a lot of smart coaches, and they will all tell you, as much as you want to focus on fantasy football, the two things that you have to do to win football games, it's pretty simplistic. What are they? Uh, score touchdowns. Block and tackle. Oh. If you can't block and you can't tackle, you won't beat anybody. There's certain things you have to do to win games. Well, essentially, that's leading to scoring and preventing scoring, too. you got to block and tackle. <laughs> if you're not good at blocking and tackling, your quarterback gets killed, your running backs, your receivers will never get the football, and if you can't tackle, well, you're going to give up a ton of points. No, you're going to stop me, anyone. I mean, so if you can't throw strikes, if you can't make contact, you can't run the bases, if you have no idea where to throw the ball, how are you going to win in baseball? We're training guys, we're training them, but we're not teaching them how to actually play the game. One of the things that I report, too, from the from Jesse Rogers with Kenny and Middleton, the reliever trade to the Yankees, was um, he said that there was a rookie reliever falling asleep in the in the bullpen during games. I'm like, how's this happening? How's a rookie falling asleep? Like, you're letting a rookie fall asleep. And then he blamed it on there wasn't a culture built because Lance Lynn and Kendall Graven were playing in the WBC. Well, you have Yasmani Grandal. You, I know a lot of the guys are young, but you have other guys on the team that can build a culture. You don't. You shouldn't have to rely on Lance Lynn and Kendall Graveman. And both those guys are now gone. It's all Tony LaRusso's fault. Yeah, man, Tony, 81 and 81. Took him to the playoffs the year before, but it's all Tony's fault. Get LaRusso out, this team will win. And how are they this year? They stink. Yeah, I mean, you think about the disaster. Essentially, you need to blow it up. But the problem is the owner's whatever his age, Jerry Reinsdorf. Mid, I think he's in his mid-80s. And he's not going to blow it up. So you're going to have Han and what's his name? Kenny Williams. Kenny Williams. Good luck. Yeah, I think. And I'm, you know what, to be honest with you, I don't care. They're the White Sox. They've, they've, they've been good one year. They made the playoffs, we went over this, 11 times in their franchise history. Yeah. 11. They're really irrelevant. The Astros have done that almost half in the last, in the, they've done that six times in the last six, in what, the last six years. They've gone to the, at least the ALCS. And then here you got the White Sox who can't even make it to the playoffs since 19, or like 1910s. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. CJ, how are you? Uh, I'm doing fantastic, man. What's going on? We were just talking about the uh, – we had the ceremonies yesterday yeah. for the Ace Hall of Fame. It was, I saw your thing with Jambi. It was awesome. Oh, he was great. Yeah. And then you, you look at Gene Tennis and you look at Carney Lansford. You played for what, eight teams? Eight, Yeah. I'm not going to anybody's Hall of Fame. Wait, that's how you did for a Hall of Fame <laughs> you could be in. I just want to go to one Yankee old-timers day, but that's not going to happen either. That would be awesome. It would be fun. Growing up there and having done it, but no chance. you got to have done something like significant on the field to get invited to that old-timers day. It's a big one. That is, a, that is big league. Yeah. There, there, there's no question about it. How are you, first off? Good, good. You know, we're here for a full week. It's wild because the Rangers have the Giants after this. Oh, so my God. So we checked into our hotel yesterday. We'll be in that same hotel for seven nights. Oh, not Because there's an off day on Thursday. So you're in San Francisco for a full week. Yeah, how about it? How so, rare is that? Super rare. I don't think I've ever done it. Somebody asked me today, like, any point in your career where you went somewhere, 
you know, played basically two teams in the same city for a whole week. I'm like, I don't think I've ever done it. So it's exciting. Plus, I was just telling somebody, Friday is an Apple game. So, so you're off. off. So I'm off from Wednesday afternoon until Saturday Dinner night. Dinner reservations, playing golf, um, you need help. My we wife's can... coming in, and we're going to head up north for a little bit. Oh, nice. A little back. Napa. Yeah, Good for yeah. you. Good for you. Cause, I'm, I'm excited. Because usually you don't get this. No. I mean, did they talk about the dog days of summer. I think a lot of our fans, because we don't have the extreme heat, mm-hmm. don't understand, like, now that you've been playing, you had a little bit of the All-Star break, a little break, but now you're in August. Everywhere you go, it's the humidity. This is really a tough time of the year. Yeah, it's still nice here. I know people will complain. We were in San Diego uh, after, before this last home stand. The Rangers had people were apologizing to us about how hot it was. <laughs> Save it. It was 105 in Texas this week. Yeah. Now we're inside now, which is nice, yeah. and that's a game changer. But when I first started this job, we were at the old ballpark. And to be over 100 degrees, first pitch at 7 o'clock at night was not uncommon this time of year. So it's beautiful here like it always is, um, and it's nice to be out of humidity. You know, we, we talk about you all the time as one of the guys that's come on this show for a long time as we've grown in success and we've always appreciated it. And I always want to tell them that you're just not doing the Rangers. Loud outs on Sirius XM. It's a show that I listen to. Spillborgs comes on, to the, on this program also. <laughs> we listen to you guys coming up here, Spilly and Colorado. And, and, and it really allows, I think, for you to do more, you know, more than just talking Rangers. Mm-hmm. You know the game. You know the sport. You know the teams. I think it's great for you, for your person. Everything you get to show everybody, you're more than just sitting here talking Rangers baseball. Well, I try not to ever make it about me, but I, I love it. I love what we do. I'll be on that show tomorrow. It's 2 to 5 Eastern time um, with Ryan Spielborgs. And, you know, it keeps you kind of locked in to everything else that's going on around the league, right? When you cover one team, uh, it's easy to just get so laser-focused yeah. on your club and just lose track a little bit of what's going on. The big thing has been, I know that you're probably in the same spot, you start getting those guests, right? And so then you start – talk to people regularly, sometimes managers that we have on regularly, uh, and then you run into them at the ballpark, right? So you've already kind of developed a relationship. That part is really nice. Uh, talking to players, coaches, front office executives from different teams around the league is, is really cool, too. And it's just it's fun to talk shop, right, and get in. We all love the game, and uh, to be able to do it for three hours a couple of days a week, is uh, I love it. It's a blast. Yeah, and, it, and right now, I, now that we have essentially the, the new playoff format, mm. I mean, it's like every. I was watching earlier. The Dodgers beat the Padres. Our guy Bo Mel, they lose three out of four in San Diego yeah. to the Dodgers. Dodgers have owned them, other than the playoffs. So you start looking. I mean, it's like every single day. Rangers in first place, but mm-hmm. you're always Astros crept up. I mean, scoreboard watching in August probably more than ever because everybody's jockeying for position. Yeah. You know what's funny about that? I've asked Craig Council this question. Uh, I've asked others as well, and said, you know, do you scoreboard watch? And they said, be lying to you if I told you we didn't. And they talk about it even much earlier in the season. Yeah. I remember as a player, 1998, I was playing for the Astros, and we were sitting down in the bullpen, and somebody said something about a score. Like, oh, you know, so-and-so lost maybe a team that was, you know, in it or whatever it might have been back when the Astros were a national team. And they said, you're not scoreboard watching in May, are you? <laughs> I remember Sean Berry was the one who said, he's like, come on, in May? Give me a break. But I think yeah. some of these managers will admit, um, especially when you're in the hunt right now, right, a team like Milwaukee obviously battling in that National League Central, um, that they're paying attention. They're definitely watching those, especially. I think it was Counts that said it. It's like my my perch, you know, in the dugout. I can't help but see the out of town scoreboard. Yeah. It's kind of right past our pitcher or whatever it is, and so uh, he checks it all the time. And I know a lot of them do as well. Yeah, it's always the excuse because yeah. right here in Oakland, it's always in front <laughs> of you since the trading deadline, undefeated. Yeah. Rangers. Yeah, playing some really good baseball, battling injuries. 
um, which has been an issue for them. Uh, Corey Seager seems like every time he's disappeared, he's come back, he hasn't missed a beat. He's having the best season of his career. He's missed a little bit of time on the IL. But they're playing some, some really good baseball right now. Uh, all things going well. Starting pitching has been really good. Obviously, picking up Max Scherzer is a nice add at a time when they lost Nate Evaldi. Yeah. Right, Evaldi's probably going to be out maybe September or so. We'll see. I saw him doing some dry work out there uh, a little while ago. No doubt he's real eager to get back. Uh, but they have found a way. That has been the story all year long. Certainly a good roster they put together. But the reason that they've been able to maintain this position in first place, it seems like when something happens, somebody goes down. Jacob DeGrom goes down. Dane Dunning steps in, who's going tonight. He's been fantastic uh, in that rotation. Nobody replaces Jacob DeGrom, but that's kind of been the story. Corey Seager went down for a little while. Ezekiel Duran steps in and plays third, excuse me, at short and does it at a really high level and starts hitting well. So there's been a lot of that going on. The additions that they have made going back to even pre-trade deadline when they brought in Aroldis Chapman, he's been terrific so far. Uh, they've done a really nice job. Depth of roster has been tested, but they've had the pieces to step up when they need it. And Young, the third baseman, goes down yesterday. You're like, oh, uh, my God, that's like four of the all-Stars yep. are gone. Duran will slide over now and play third for a little while. He had slowed down somewhat offensively, but he came in that game yesterday and ended up hitting a home run in his first at-bat after replacing uh, Josh Young. So that was really good uh, to see for him. He's a good player. He really is. And so uh, he's now going to be once again asked to be that guy that steps in for an injured star. So, yeah, that part has been tough, having four of your All-Stars. And it was nice that they were able to send six to the All-Star game. But to have four go on the IL since then um, has been concerning. I think with the pitchers, they knew it to some degree. right? It had to be built in based on how many starts a lot of those guys made last year, like Andrew Heaney, even John Gray, Nate Ovaldi, Andrew Heaney, all missed some time last year. So they knew they were probably going to miss some time this year, and so they made sure they had the depth built in. So what is it like, Max Scherzer? I mean, <laughs> this is a big deal, right? Verlander coming back, obviously a big deal to the Astros, but he's already – it's like he left for vacation yeah. and he came back. Bringing in Scherzer just – for the clubhouse, for the organization, for when he walked onto the plane. I mean, what was it like? So, yeah, it wasn't their trade deadline, but when I first got back, you could pick up on it pretty quickly. And some guys have already talked about it. Even Dane Dunning. It's interesting. You look at a team like this that has played well, no drama surrounding this team, a lot of good guys, all that stuff has worked out really well. You wouldn't think that they needed any kind of boost, right? But yet somehow Max Scherzer has found a way to provide one. You know, Dane Dunning, the way he kind of described it was, you know, it's just a little bit more of like, hey, this is for real. Not that they didn't think it already, right? But a little more focus now. Step it up a little bit. Here come the Astros. They're on our heels, and there's an intensity to Max Scherzer, especially on game day, which you'll see tomorrow. I know we've seen it for years from the other side. Yeah. But from beginning to end, from the time that he arrives at the ballpark uh, until the game is over, it's different. Uh, and there's a lot of good pitchers on this team and certainly a lot of great ones around the league. But what he does and the way he does it and carries himself, it's kind of fascinating to see, quite honestly, at his age, this still have that level of energy and focus and how much he cares about uh, winning and making the guys around him better. It's It's been fun. Yeah, he definitely has changed things in, in a situation where you didn't think anything needed to change. You're bringing in the dude. Yeah. And that's what's so interesting. We see it in professional sports. We just don't have that many trades in the NFL. Basketball, too many of the trades are about contracts. I mean, in our sport, you still can bring in the guy in your career, and it can go either way. Yeah where you're bringing in the guy or you're losing the guy and it just deflates the clubhouse. In your career, 
Was there ever a time on one of your teams where you brought the guy in or you lost that guy and it, the whole dynamic just changes? So the biggest one was that same year in 1998 when I was playing in Houston. We were a first-place team, playing pretty well. But the rotation was good, but a lot of guys were doing it for the first time. Randy Johnson yeah. came in at the deadline and changed everything. Very similar to Max Scherzer in the sense that, first of all, he had the pedigree. He had the track record. I mean, he continued to get better even after that because that was the first time that he, quote-unquote, was in the National League. I get it. He was in the National League in the beginning of his career in Montreal. But he wasn't Randy Johnson in Montreal, right? He became Randy Johnson in Seattle. And so that big trade that sent John uh, Halama, uh, was it um, Carlos Guillen was in that trade as well. Uh, Freddie, the right-handed pitcher, why am I forgetting his last name, did really well for them. Garcia. Garcia did really well for them. Those three guys went to Seattle, and it was a good trade kind of both ways. Randy Johnson completely elevated like 10 things. 10 and 1, yeah, right? Yeah, he was amazing while he was <laughs> he there. Was and it was about yeah. having a game one starter in the postseason, uh-huh. quite honestly. He went head to head with Kevin Brown against the Padres, lost to him, but it was, you know, it was a great atmosphere. Um, he was there. He, you know, he, he showed up in a big way the way that an ace would. Unfortunately for the Astros those years, they just couldn't score runs uh, in the postseason. But that was a big one. That was a game changer. That's when the deadline was at midnight. And we were on the, we must have been on the East Coast when it happened because I remember it went to midnight. And no news. And it wasn't until like 12.03, 12.04, it started trickling in that we had picked up Randy Johnson. And when you're talking about bringing in the big guy, yeah. you're bringing in a big <laughs> guy, Randy Johnson. So I, I think about the Rangers, and I think about Bruce Bochy, and it's not going to be a surprise here in the Bay Area to our fan base. I mean, obviously what Bruce Bochy did in San Francisco when he came from San Diego and won those three championships. But when you're talking probably nationally on, on your talk show, mm-hmm. explaining like, listen – this has made a complete difference in Texas. There's no question. Yeah, it absolutely has. I mean, everything has been elevated over the last year plus or so. But I think for Boach, even though he wasn't the last piece when all the roster moves started happening, he might have been the biggest piece. I think people knew when Corey Seager came in, Marcus Simeon came in, a combined $500 million between the two of them that things were about to change. Uh, but the Bruce Bochy uh, hiring, I think, really did kind of change things and take it to another level, and we've seen it. I mean, every, like you said, everyone that is in this area knows all about it and has seen it for a long time, but the level of professionalism, I think the thing that gets me a little bit, that's still not, not that it surprises me, but you can see it on the outside, how competitive he really is, right? To take that time off, he's got World Series under his belt, he's going to the Hall of Fame, we know all of that. It hasn't changed anything about how competitive he is day in and day out, and the guys pick up on that, but yet there's also this calmness to him, a professionalism that it's one of those things that you just kind of fall in line. I was I, Bobby Cox to me was very similar. I got to play for him in Atlanta, and there was such a respect for Bobby Cox, and he was your biggest fan when you had a Braves uniform on. You felt valued when you were there, but you also wanted to show up every single day for him and, and never mess anything up, not in a bad way, not in that heavy pressure that's going to lock you up, but it kind of freed you up uh, to be the best that you could be, and I think Bruce Bochy does that for our guys. All right, let's end on this and get you out of the sun. <laughs> um, I got the standings here. All right. You can buy a stock. In, all right. All right. It's going to be a cheap stock, but you think it's going to come out big for you. We're, so we're looking long-term here? like no, we're, oh. we're, we're, we're talking a team that may – I am not. I don't want, want, want you to take one of the favorites. Okay. I want you to pick me somebody. Like, you know what? I'll give you an example. Like, I love that the Cubs didn't yeah. do anything, and now they're red hot and they're scoring a ton of runs. Yep. Give, me a, give me a team that, you know what, I'd, I'd throw a little money on that team because, you know what, if they get in – 
they're deadly. Yeah, I don't know if the Cubs are deadly necessarily, but I think they have a chance to get in now. I actually had them uh, as a pre uh, preseason chance to be a postseason team, which I think a lot of people didn't see it that way, but it's all starting to come together now. A lot of it had to do with the starting pitching. That starting pitching hasn't been as good. Marcus Stroman obviously has struggled and has been hurt, um, but they're really good and they're fun to watch, which is good for that market. At the National League in general uh, is, is getting pretty crazy. The National League wild card. Uh, it's yeah. going to be a great fight. It's really hard. I will tell you, between Milwaukee, Cincinnati, the Cubs, it's really hard to differentiate. I could see where a team like maybe the uh, Reds start to fall off. I'd be worried about the uh, Arizona Diamondbacks. Like, they've been struggling. They're starting to they've fall off. they terrible. The they've Marlins been, yeah, have been terrible. Yeah, I mean, the, the Orioles obviously have been a great story. I'm trying to think if there's any real good I, – I, the, the, the Cubs are probably the best of the group. I'm trying to come up and think if there's another team in there right now. I think everyone's got their eyes on who the real contenders are. The Padres are slipping fast um, right now. But I think you stole the best one in the Cubs. I don't want, and I don't want to say anybody in our division because I don't want to get in trouble. I will tell you there's a team in our division that I'm a little bit concerned about, our division meaning the American League West. But I'm not going on air saying that I'm worried about them. I can't do it. So I'll let you figure it out. But I think you might know who I'm talking about. I just it's lo- not the Angels. Yes. And it's not the A's. Sorry. I have a I have a bet against that team you're talking oh, about you do? not making the playoffs. Okay, well, so I'm against that team okay. you're talking about. So none of us are going to talk about it. Great seafood. <laughs> they got great seafood there. I think they may have yeah. the best food. Yeah. Uh, I I got I just you know there's not a lot of baseball talk. Mm-hmm basically nationally anymore and now that we're hitting football season my god once the cowboys are in camp you guys know and around here it's 49ers i think that's one of the reasons why our show has grown beyond the bay area because we're always talking major league baseball Mm. but that's why i tell everybody i I love the power alley with farron and duquette and they come on the show uh mad dog comes on the show all the time i know they're they're putting uh, high heat on and your guys's show i think it's important for our baseball fans to know that it is worth it. You can dial it up every Sunday morning. The GM to yeah. Jim Squared, Bowden and Duquette. Yeah. It's a great show. The the uh, the front office show. If you're a baseball fan, subscribe to SiriusXM. It doesn't have to be your car anymore. It can be on your phone, on That's your right. tablet, and, and you can get the app. And it's actually really cheap. And you're getting the best possible baseball talk it's really where the only place you get baseball talk. yeah you're right it has gone away and we're appreciative that you know we still have some some ears and eyes that want to uh take in some of that as the landscape has changed spilly and i will also do a loud house podcast a couple days a week so that one's free um that people can get but you know the landscape has changed so much i get a little bit concerned about some of the content that's out there you know it's a lot of the goofy stuff which i get it's more of the entertainment yeah. but it's not really concrete Right, we get to sit there and chop it up and really talk about it and break stuff down uh, is fun. And I think that there's still an audience for that. It might be dwindling a little bit, um, but it's important, I think, that we're still out there. He's one of the best in the business, and we always appreciate the time. Always my pleasure, Good to Chris. see you. Cody Thomas is putting his bat in the back, Rat. He is going to join us coming up here on A's Cast Live. A lot to get into, but we will get back to Laz Diaz. And is it good for baseball to be able to – somehow figure out how we got to balls and strikes. We're trying to figure everything else out. I know the robo-umps, not everybody's a big favor. But welcome to A's Cast Live. This is our talk show that we do throughout the year. And you don't know this, but I've been championing you for a long time. I'm Chris Townsend. Nice to meet you. Cody Thomas, nice to meet you. And I've talked a lot about you. And your story is very interesting to me. Mm-hmm. And I've been saying, I don't want to look at your age. I want to look at where you are in your baseball journey. And it seems like things are fi- health is good, and things are finally starting to click for you. Yeah, I mean, 
I know I'm 28, turned 29 in October, but I feel young physically. I feel young mentally. Feel young as a baseball player still, yeah. like you were saying. Um, and yeah, this is. I feel like it's the first time in my career where I've, I'm starting to truly feel like a baseball player. You know what I mean? For yeah. the first couple of years of my career, I feel like I was trying to get out a lot of a lot of football player in me. Um, you know, <laughs> hammering the weight room, um, trying to tough out everything. Just wasn't mentally into the fully into into baseball and I feel like I'm there now and um in a good spot and like I said yeah I feel I feel young I feel good yeah I've actually worked a couple Oklahoma games so I've been to Norman I know all about OU football and what I try to tell everybody well I've had Bob Stoops on my show before but it, it, it it when you go to Oklahoma it's one of the premier destinations in college football you obviously had a historic high school career you're one of the top recruits all the guys going to Oklahoma and it's very very tough to leave that world Mm -hmm. and when you get into the baseball world so I try and tell people is we're getting this big athletic dynamic guy but as you just said you've been a football player and a baseball it's hard to do both but now finally the baseball player is here just talk about how tough that decision was to leave the football world. Yeah, I mean, up until I'd say a month and a half before the draft even happened, I was still planning on transferring somewhere and going to play football elsewhere. That was still, I would say, my goal in mind was uh, to play football um, at the Division One level. And it wasn't until I started getting in and playing every day um, and having success on the baseball field and then started talking to some scouts and stuff. And at that point in my career in college, I hadn't seen much success in either football or baseball. Um, and that was my first kind of taste of it. And I'm going to be honest, in, in high school, I was kind of burnt out on baseball. I'd, I'd played it so much growing up every summer and all that. And, and I think the break from it was good for me. And um, when I started having some, some, some success, um, I just saw it as God's way of telling me this is where I should be. And um, I, I ran with it and didn't look back. So when you think about the light goes on, there, there's, just, there's, there's a time in everybody's life and everybody's sport where, all right, I'm getting it. Yeah. When was that? And I think it might have been kind of recently. Uh, yeah. Um, you know, I was talking to my agent this year because coming up in the minors, I played a full season everywhere I went. Never had gotten a call up once until I got called up to the big leagues. And um, and it was – that's where I should have been, you know. Um, but I, I called my agent. I was like, you know, this is the first time in my career. This is year eight for me. And I was like, this is the first time in my career where I feel like I'm ready to go on to another level. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, where I, I felt like um, – you know, I, I just I just felt ready. Um, in years past, you'd be I'd be up and down. wasn't very consistent. This is the first year. I feel like the consistency was there more so than ever. And um, yeah, just just felt ready for another level. When you think about where you fit most in the outfield, we've seen a lot of you in right field. Mm-hmm. Where do you think you're best suited to play? Uh, I came up in the Dodgers organization, and I learned quickly, man. You better. You better learn at all three positions. If <laughs> you play if you want to find, too. yeah, if you want to find your name in the lineup, you'd be good at all yeah. three. And wherever they put you, you you go give it your best. Where um, do you think you're best at? Ah, uh, scouts, self scout yourself. Where yeah. are you the best at? I'll tell you my my favorite is center. I, I really like center field. Um, I like the viewpoint of the game from there. I feel like you can really see how pitchers are attacking guys, and um, I, I like the viewpoint from center. Um, but like I said, I'm I feel comfortable at all three, and again, whatever gets me in the lineup. Well, we talk about Oakland being the land of opportunity. You come here, you're going to have an opportunity. 
How much have you felt that over time and feel it now that, you know what, I, I, I'm getting a legitimate shot here? Right. I mean, I feel like I felt that day one, honestly, just coming over here. Um, you know, they came up to me first in the cage. I'll never forget it. And they're just like, hey, we want you to just be an athlete. Be you. And that was like the best thing they could have told me. And I knew right then that I was in the best spot. And um, I've always felt like the opportunity was, was great for me here. And I um, feel like I'm, I'm finally starting to get that. And we got about two months left. Self-scout, what do you got to get better at? Um, I think it's, it's the same deal that's uh, been with me my whole career, just consistency. I feel like um, when I'm going good, it's great. Um, and it's just minimizing the windows of when it's not going so great. And I talked to my manager in AAA, Fran Reardon, about this a lot. Like when you're when you're not feeling great, you don't have to go up there and still try and uh, you don't have to go try and hit homers. When you don't feel great, take your one for threes, take take your walks. Um, and when I was young um, and a lot more immature as a hitter, I feel like um, I'd still be going up there trying to um, swing out of my shoes and stuff like that when my swing wasn't there. And your swing's not going to be there at all times, and you have to have some self awareness with that and say, okay, I'm not going to be trying to hit a double in the gap. It might not be my day to hit a double or a home yeah. run today. Like today to help the team, I'm going to be a one for three of the walk guy. And to be able to swallow that, and it took a lot of swallowing this, the ego and pride to um, have that self-awareness. But I feel like that's why I had the consistency this year because there were times where I didn't, didn't feel great at the plate, but I went in the game saying, all right, I don't feel great, but I can still have success. And whatever that looks like for that day, um, you take it and you end up on the other side of it, happy you did it because you have usually the results come. And um, I feel like that maturity, it, I mean, it took me eight years. Like I said, everyone, everyone's uh, journey's different. Um, but I feel like I'm in a good spot now to where I'm, I'm able to have that self-awareness. You're a great guy to ask because it's been a while since I worked doing college sports. I actually played baseball in college. That was a long time ago, <laughs> right? So yeah. you were just in it. Mm-hmm. Your school, Oklahoma, and Texas are going to the SEC. Correct. USC and UCLA are going to the Big Ten, and now Washington and Oregon, and now a bunch of the other Pac-12 schools are going to the Big 12. The Pac-12 is going to disintegrate. Now we have rumors that Florida State is going to leave the ACC, which then Clemson will leave the ACC. And the ACC, you were just in this. Right. How insane is this as a guy who just played college football to know that longtime conferences are imploding? Right. Um, it's definitely going to be a different different look to the college football scene. I mean, and college sports in general. I mean, uh, for me, obviously, I'm not in it anymore, yeah. so it doesn't – completely impact me for me it's more so when I get to the offseason now I have a reason to go check out these SEC schools and go watch some big time football um but yeah it's a lot a lot has changed it, it seems like right after I left a lot has changed you know I've talked to some guys that are still in it um I have some buddies that I played with that are, that are coaching in college and and they'll tell me I mean it's it's just a different different world different animal out there it's insane now. it really is it really is well like I said, if there's been one guy been a cheerleader for you and you didn't even know it, it's this guy right here. I've been saying I want to see him play. He's a quarterback. He's big. He's smart. He's athletic. I want to see what he can do, and, and I'm glad you're getting that opportunity. And yeah, I really We're going to want to have that. you on again. Yeah, sounds good. Thanks so much Thank for the you. time. Well, well, well. You hit two home runs. Guess what? You're going to show up on A's Cast Live. What a big, yeah, big game yesterday for Nick Allen. Thanks for coming on the program. And had to feel great. And a win against the Giants and beating them two straight. First off, thanks for having me. Uh, yeah, 
It was a good day yesterday. It felt good. Um, I'm just glad we got a win with it, you know, because that makes it feel even better for sure for, with the type of day. And then uh, capping it off by being the Giants, it was, it, was, uh, it was definitely a fun day for sure. We have talked about this. For you, it's always about you go to the next level. There can be some struggles. And then you figure it out, and boom, away you go. Do you feel like that's where you're at right now? I feel like I'm, I'm putting together some quality at-bats, and I, I mean, that's what I keep. I keep a sheet of quality at-bats for myself and uh, just kind of base it off just kind of being able, being ready to swing at good pitches. Um, so I've been looking at that a lot lately, and it's, it's definitely been uh, a lot better up here for sure. Uh, so, you know, I'm just going to keep going, keep trying to hit the ball hard, do anything I can to help this team uh, win some games, and, and I think right now we're, we're trending in a good direction. When you say a quality at-bat, if I'm – so game's over – you're going back home, and you say quality at bat versus not a quality at bat. When you mark down quality, what has to happen to qualify for a quality at bat? I think I think like you know, to, for it to be official, obviously you want to you know put together a strong AB. I think anything more than like you know eight pitches plus is is a good quality at bat. Anything uh, hit hard um, is I think a quality at bat for myself. Uh, but I kind of take it to the next step because you know this game is built on you know you go three for ten. You know, that's seven, seven out of those ten times you're failing, you know. So you got to try to make some things positive because, you know, else you'd be going home being like, you know, failing a lot, you know. Other than maybe a one for three game or a one for four game, you know, like there's failure in that too by, you know, sometimes. So I, I kind of base it off if I get a good swing on a, a good pitch that I was looking for, I, I, I start kind of looking at that as that's positive, you know. And then I start barreling baseballs, that's another positive. So kind of put that in my quality at bat, at bat sheet and, uh, like I said, it's it's been good lately, so I'm just trying to keep that going in the positive direction. Yeah, because it's interesting because, yeah, walks are a quality at bat. Yeah. There's, like, certain things, and I like that you keep track of it because when there are times that you're not going well, yeah. you can kind of diagnose why things are not going well. Oh, 100%. And, like, you know, when you're barreling baseballs and maybe you're not getting anything to show for it, you can look back at that and be like, no, I'm doing I'm, – I'm right where I need to be. I, I'm in a good spot. Just keep going. How much do you think about keeping the ball out of the air, even though you yeah. just hit two yeah. home runs? Uh, how much do you think about because your speed, your ability to make contact, speed, bunt, yeah. that's, you know, that plays for you. I think just getting up there and being ready to be aggressive and uh, put a good swing on the pitch. You know, it's hard, it's hard to say, hey, I'm going to try to hit a line drive here because everyone wants to do that, you know. And it's, it's hard to say I'm going to try to hit the ball on the ground because sometimes you might just swing too much down and you pop it up. Or it's like, you know, I'm going to try to hit the ball in the air here, and then sometimes it's hard to do that. So I just think about putting a good swing on a, on a good pitch to hit, and whatever happens, happens after that. So when you talk about making adjustments, where are you in the season? Do you feel like, I figured it out, not completely, but you figured it out, and this is what I'm going with, you're still tinkering, where are you with that? Yeah, I think uh, I made an adjustment about a you know, week and a half ago, I think right before Colorado, uh, just to kind of close my stance a little bit. It's something I've wanted to do. Uh, just kind of was like, you know, I got to keep going because I, I, I've had success, um, you know, in Triple A, and I, I know that it's Triple A, but like, I've had success doing what I what I know I can do, and that's with what I've had, and I brought that here. I think just, uh, you know, I think I needed to make a little change to find a way to stay back, and I think closing my stance helped me get uh, into my back hip a lot better and just stay back, stay behind the baseball, so I can get the barrel out. And making changes. It's tough because you don't want to do it too early. You don't want to do it too late. You want to be able to trust that change when you're in the heat of battle. 
So talk about when you make that decision going, whether it's going to be your hands, your feet, whatever it's going to be, where you stand in the box. Take us through when, yeah, when you're going to implement the change. It's not easy, you know, because you're trying to battle out here and everyone is, you know, is really good here. So it's like you, you want to be the best version of yourself. So sometimes it's hard just trusting like, hey, let's make a change here. Uh, really work on it in the cage. But when you get up, you know, battle, ba battle and, and get in there and compete. Uh, but yeah, it's it's a hard it's a hard thing to do is to make a change and and that's something I was going back and forth with. That's why it was hard. It's hard coming to the decision like, hey, I think it's time. Yeah, well, the yeah. two home runs definitely help out. But then I know what everybody's thinking is like, well, don't start thinking you're Babe Ruth now and everything and you're Barry Bonds and everything's flying out of the yard. No, I I, I completely <laughs> understand that. I just hitting the ball. I just want to hit the ball hard. If yeah. I can do that, I think we're gonna put or put put myself in a good situation. Geloff is interesting to me because he obviously is not a second baseman by trade, but that's now what he has become. And when we saw him down in Stockton years ago, he was a third baseman. Everybody talked about him being the future third baseman. You've now get you've now gotten a, a chance to work with him at second base. How's that going so far, the communication between you two? Oh, it's awesome. I mean, you know, first off, he's just a good guy. So it's like we're always talking, we're always communicating. Uh, and then, you know, he's working – working his tail off out there. I mean, he's out getting early work, uh, getting as many ground balls as possible. I mean, he's he's putting in the work, and, and I'm, I'm proud of him. Shortstop is a really tough position, and we try and tell people about the athleticism that you have to have, but there's more to that. And to me, you're going to be at your very best when you have the ultimate trust. And since Marcus Simeon's in the building, Marcus Simeon had that trust with, with Matt Chapman on his right. So for you as a shortstop, what's it like trying to gain that trust when you have revolving door at third base? Now hopefully you've got a second baseman. What, what does that mean to you, the communication and the trust? I think uh, just w with whoever's out there, just make sure we're on, all on the same page, making sure we know where we are on the field. I think that's a big thing. Um, and I think with more reps and uh, out there with each other, I think it's only going to get better. What's the number one thing do you think you've learned from the first time we started doing this to where you are now with getting ready and playing the game and going out there to win? What's the number one thing? Ooh, uh, I think, first of all, trust yourself, trust in your abilities that, you know, you're 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 going to go out there and you're going to help this team win. And, and you're going to be a part of it um, no matter what you do. Just try to find a way to, to be there for your teammates um, and trust in your abilities. I think that's, that's the biggest thing. That's what I write down all the time is try to trust in who you are because it's good enough. Yeah, you do got to write it down because yeah. sometimes you forget an 0 for 4, you want to go home and and cry because it's <laughs> tough. This game, you want to throw stuff and you want to be angry. But you got to reinforce yeah. who you are, what you are, and what you believe in. Uh, no, 100%. I mean, like I said, like I try to I, I, I keep a book, you know. It's like quality of bats, but that, that goes at the bottom of it just so I can write that down. But it's like I write down kind of some stuff I want to accomplish, you know, some things I can control, um, and then – I try to write it all down, journal it, um, and then I, I close the book and then go take a shower and then leave. And then just it's now I just live my life, you know, because I don't want to try to bring it back with me because you know, it's going to come back with me. But I, I want to try to forget it and then move on. And then ne next day is a new day. But, you know, try to take the good and then go. Is there yeah. anything that you had in your mind that you thought the big leagues was going to be like? And now that you've been here, you went, ah, that's not how, that's not what I thought it was going to be like. No, I mean, it's amazing. You know, you grow up in, in uh, 
just kind of dreaming and, and, and wondering what it's going to be like. But it's, it's, it's nothing short of it. You know, it's, it's awesome. I think that the one thing that really does stand out, though, is that it's just still baseball. You've done, you've played this game your whole life, and it's still the same game. I think that that's a big thing other than, you know, probably more fans, bigger stadiums. Uh, but at the end of the day, it's, it's still baseball. So that's something I, I've kind of saw, and I'm like, wow, it's, this is crazy. You know, I've, I've played this game. I've done this. So it's not like I, I'm, it's nothing new to me. You know, we've talked about on this show, we've also talked about on the clubhouse show, that's our postgame show, that I think it's big for you guys that you've been playing in front of big crowds. You had big crowds in Colorado. You had big crowds in Los Angeles. You had big crowds for these two games. You had big crowds over in San Francisco. Do you think that helps you younger guys to play in front of the big crowds, and what has that been like? No, it's awesome. I think it's it's great, great getting – fans out in stands and, and having that energy in the building because it's something you've like I said you've dreamt of your whole life and you 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 live for those moments so it's it's awesome and we feed off energy like anybody does you know so uh, anytime we can get more fans in the stands it's awesome now one thing that I would love for you guys to take on is that persona of we're the spoilers we're here to ruin your party right because you are playing you have been playing and you're going to continue to play the Rangers, the Astros, you got all these teams that you're going to be playing that are trying to win the division. They're trying to get into the postseason. Have you guys talked about that at all? Because young teams that become spoilers and learn how to win, that helps you going into next year. Oh, 100%. I think, we, yeah, like you said, we got a lot of good games against quality opponents, and um, we're going to try to go out there and play our brand of baseball and keep growing and, and, and kind of really discovering who we are as a team. And I think, you know, I think you saw it the past two days. I mean, we, we wanted to win. We know we can win. We just got to go out there and play our brand of baseball, put together, you know, nine innings, 27 outs. And, and I think uh, right now we're on, we're on a good stretch, and we just got to keep that going, right? And if we're playing against people that have opportunities to get in the playoffs, I mean, we want to win every game. So we're going to have to try to spoil our season somehow. It's fun to watch you yeah. grow. It's Thank fun. You. Appreciate it. Yeah, keep, keep making it happen. And you watching the young guys play together, it's bringing incitement. And uh, yeah. keep it rolling. Thank you. Well, we have said it for years that nobody circles the wagons in the second half. Not like the Buffalo Bills, like the Las Vegas Aviators, the great Fran Reardon and his ball club. You guys are red hot right now. Uh, yeah, we're playing really good baseball, you know, opening up the second half. And uh, it, it's good to play meaningful games. It's good to be in contention. It's good to have that competition and the juices flowing to, to try to win every game and to, to just try to get to the, the playoffs. And it's been a lot of fun so far the second half. What's always interesting about your job is you want to get guys to the big leagues. That's what you need to do. But you still need to win games for yourself there in Las Vegas, talk about how you lose guys, guys come and go throughout the season, but you've got this puzzle. You're trying to complete this puzzle, and they're always giving you different pieces. What is that like? Um, you know, I, I take it as a, a fun challenge. You know, you, you have a lot of roster movement. You have a lot of guys going up and down. And and like you said, when guys go up to go to go play in the big leagues, it's the 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 greatest part of this job is the most rewarding part of this job. But at the same time, we still have a game that night to win and to try to compete in every single night. And, it, you know, I, I just think our guys have done a good job of eliminating distractions and who's going up and who's staying and who's moving where and who's going where. 
and just really done a great job of focusing on the task at hand every single night. And I, I think from the staff all the way down to, to the 20, 28 players we have on our roster, we've been doing a good job of just staying focused on what we have that day, who the players are that day, the personnel packages that we have, and just going from there. What was the conversation like telling Lawrence Butler, you're going to the big leagues? <laughs> I mean, it's, it's always fantastic. You know, we've talked about this before. When, when guys go to the big leagues that have been there one, two, three times, it's, it's a little less climactic than a guy that's never been there. And for a young guy like Lawrence, who's such a, such a good person, first of all, and a great player, he's got a really bright future ahead to be able to sit him down and know that he's big leagues for the first time. Our, our farm director, Ed Sprague, was in town, so it was just to be in the office. And just the, the look, the look on Lawrence's face after we, uh, you know, he let him know it was going, and the, just emotion and the feeling. I one goal, reached goals, but reached one goal. Just to see the body and the, the Lawrence face was really something special. Do you want to call him back? Uh, well, he's on video, so it's just a Wi-Fi. Oh, just, okay, you're just you were breaking up just a little bit, but uh, Lawrence Butler to me. I look at the size. I look at the speed. We saw it in spring training. When's the last time you remember a guy like this being promoted to the A's? You know, athletically, he's he's a tough guy to compare because he is the total package. He has size, strength, speed, athleticism, instincts, power. Uh, he's a good defender in the outfield. I, I can't remember sending a guy this young with this kind of skill set and this kind of potential up to the big leagues since uh, since I've been managing in AAA. So, again, that, that made it a little bit more special. Lawrence wasn't even with us for that long, you know, maybe a three-week period, and he did some wonderful things in those three weeks. And it's just uh, – it's really good to see the future of our organization start to go to the big leagues and see the guys playing every day and starting to compete at the major league level. I asked Mark Kotze this earlier today. We're going to play a little bit later, and I want to get it from you. What does it mean that we're promoting guys to the big league level, but they're not guys – we're promoting guys that came from all the different trades. But what does it mean to be promoting guys like Geloff, Soderstrom, Butler, guys that were drafted, raised in this farm system? Well, I, I, I think there's an extra level of uh, appreciation and satisfaction – not only for the players that we drafted or signed as, as international free agents going to the big leagues, but the entire player development system, the entire scouting department who, you know, works tirelessly all year to try to find these players and identify guys that can help us in the big leagues, which is no easy task when you're talking about, you know, high school guys or college guys, because you just don't know how they're going to develop. And to see them get drafted, uh, to see them go through our player development system and, and get better and improve. Uh, it just says a lot about the hard work that goes on, not only with the player themselves, but with the scouting department, the front office, and the entire player development system. All the coaches that work really, really hard from, you know, the all the way down to the Dominican Summer League and the Dominican Complex, all the way through AAA. And uh, I, I can speak firsthand that it's it's really rewarding to see our own guys going up to the big leagues and becoming productive major league players. What do you think of Zach Geloff's start here at the big league level? It's phenomenal. It's To me, it's not surprising. Uh, he's a winning player with a winning mindset and uh, really, really high ceiling with his talent. 
And he's a guy that's not going to ever leave anything on the field. He's going to, he's going to squeeze out every inch of his potential and his ability. And he's going to give you everything he has every day to, to try to do things that are going to help the team win. So to see him have, you know, six home runs in his first three weeks in the big leagues and to see him play defense the way he's playing at second base and run the bases and just bring that energy. It's, it's not surprising, but it's always, it's always fantastic to see it come to fruition. Now, I just don't remember that many guys who come up and have the ability not only to go to the right side as a right-handed hitter, but drive the ball out of the ballpark too. Now, there's been power hitters. Obviously, Chris Davis had unbelievable opposite field power, the greatest I've ever seen uh, since I've been covering baseball was Mike Piazza. But he has the ability, base hits, doubles down the line, doubles into the gap, leave the yard. How many right-handed hitters lately have you seen like that? Because most guys, seem to me, seem like everybody's just trying to pull it and hook it down the line. Well, I mean, in, in the in the big leagues today, you have a, a guy like Freddie Freeman, who is, you know, an MVP candidate who just tries to use the whole field and hit the ball hard and hit line drives. And his approach with his strengths has led to a lot of home runs and a lot of damage. Um you know, the list isn't very long, even in the big leagues of guys that have that opposite field power. And with with Zach, he does have that in, in his toolkit. And if you see him hit a home run to right center field, that's his ace wing. And that's when you know he's seeing the ball really well and he feels really good at the plate. Um, and he, he still would have the ability to pull the baseball if it's a pitch that, that should be pulled. But Zach does have that ability and it's it's pretty exciting to watch. You know, Tyler Soderstrom, you know how special he's going to be. The coaches up here know. Mark Kotze knows. But you're 21 years old. And if you do have anything that they can expose, they're going to expose it right away. But just, you know, what do you think overall, what you've seen so far, and what you think he can be at the big league level? I think Tyler's going to be a force. And I, I think the first thing that you have to look at when, you know, he's experiencing his first month in the big leagues is his age. He's 21 years old. He was drafted in 20. Uh, he didn't get the, a full season in 2020 because of the outside and the, the pandemic. But, you know, he's really gotten so much better in every aspect of his game in a very short time. And, yeah, is he producing the way that he wants to right now in the big leagues? No, but it's going to come. It's going to come with experience. It's going to come with at-bats. It's going to come with seeing pitches. It's going to come with him making the necessary adjustments at that level that lead to success. And not only is Tyler very talented, but he's he's very smart, too. So he, he will figure it out. He will make the necessary adjustments, and he will become the force that everyone believes that he will become. I know Joey Estes has come up. I don't I, – I probably like he's pitched once or twice for you, something like that. I, I know it's very limited – but he's very young, up in AAA. Obviously, he's one of the guys that came over in the trades that you're hoping is going to pan out. Can you give us much on him, what you've seen so far? Well, he, he pitched once in Albuquerque, and he was very impressive. You know, he, he's got a fastball that has really unique attributes, and it, it looks like the guys don't see it very well. Uh, he's got good velocity, and his secondary stuff is good as well. Uh, what I saw in his first and only start here in AAA is – a really, really intense competitor, somebody that has good stuff and throws strikes and competes in the strike zone, and somebody that has a really bright future in our organization. So, yeah, he's, he's actually pitching for us tonight. It'll be his second start, and I'm really excited to, to see Joey's progress.
Yeah, is it is it really noticeable when you bring a really young guy up to AAA? Because obviously most guys, they're not exactly that young in their careers anymore when they're in AAA. Well, it, it depends. It's player dependent, and there's levels of maturity from 20 or 21-year-olds that – you know, varies across the board. And you can tell that Joey has that, that edge, that maturity, that mindset that it doesn't matter that he's a very young guy that's competing at a very high level at a very young age. He gets after it like a, like a grizzled vet in the one start that I saw. And I I think that that's huge for, for his uh, just progression and getting to the big leagues as quick as you can, because he doesn't look at his age as a detriment. He, he understands what he has to do. He has to compete in the strike zone. He has to get out, and he doesn't care whether he's, you know, 18 years old or 30 years old. He's going to approach things the same way, and I think that's the mindset that you have to have as a young player. I know it's hard to believe for a lot of people. It's just early August, but it is football season. Uh, You will finish your year, and you will head back, and your Buffalo Bills once again are going to be Big contenders this year for the potentially the Super Bowl. How are you feeling about your Bills? I'm always feeling good about the Bills. <laughs> you know, it's <laughs> it, it's been so much fun just to watch them play the last you know three four years since Josh Allen came into the league, and you know we've been let down a little bit at the end of the season, but we're Bills fans. We're used to it. We've been let down since 1991. When we lost the Super Bowl to the Giants and Scott Norwood missed the field goal. So we're used to the letdown. We're used to the suffering, but we embrace it. And every year is a new year and we're going to, we're going to support them no matter what. And and hopefully, you know, this will be the year that, that gets us over the edge. As a Raider fan, I can tell you, it was so great when John Elway retired. Just get this guy out of the league. A guy that just torments you for all those years. Uh, How nice is it now? You look at the schedule and Bill Belichick doesn't seem so tough without Tom Brady anymore. Well, it's nice not to chalk up two L's every time you <laughs> play the Patriots anymore because that's what it was for, I think, a 16- or 17-year stretch when, yeah. when Brady and Belichick were together. So, you know, we have we have a fighting chance with everybody in the division now, and it wasn't like that for a long time. So, yeah, it's, it's great. Good riddance, Tom Brady. Yeah, no doubt about it. And people don't understand. Like, Buffalo – it's it's the game in town. There's so many Bills fans. Even north of the border, there's Bills fans. And even though it gets cold, you guys don't care. It's your love. Is it hard? It's like you're at the you're in the total extreme of the desert and the heat as a manager, and then you leave to the total extreme in football season in the freezing cold in Buffalo. But can you explain to people just what the fan base is like and the love for that team? It's like no other. I mean, I think passionate is is not strong enough of a word to describe Bills fans. Uh, they they live and die with the team's success. And, you know, the city has a different vibe on Mondays after the team wins. And, you know, you go on a little run and you're in first place in the division and people start seeing Super Bowl visions dancing in their heads. And uh, it, it's just a they're, they're, they're so woven into the fabric of the community and people kind of relate to the team the coaching staff, the blue collar mentality of the team and and the culture that they've created. And it's just a really good fit for the kind of town that Buffalo is. And it just means a lot to the community. And I, I, I so appreciate the fact that the coaches and the players understand that and they do a lot to give back and they do a lot to, to kind of 
you know, entwine themselves into the community as well so that it gives us a feeling that we're all in it together. So it's it's a very symbiotic relationship with the, the citizens and the, the team, and it's a lot of fun. People with no shirts on, freezing cold, jumping on tables in the parking lot, you know, stuff you see every single day everywhere else in the NFL. <laughs> Well, if you want to see things that you haven't seen, you should take a trip to Orchard Park and watch the Bills play and experience the tailgate there because there's some wild stuff going on. All right, let's end on this because uh, I follow all kinds of restaurant stuff, and they just did a whole thing on the Red Rock Casino right there. I didn't realize how good the restaurant and the restaurants are in there and the deals because Vegas obviously on the Strip has gotten pricey. Is it true you're getting world-class food right there? I mean, they're talking about you could get a prime rib and lobster. It was like for like 35 bucks, and it's award-winning. Are, are, you, are, you, are you able to go over there and beat that up, the old Red Rock in the restaurant? Well, I, I'm over at the Red Rock all the time. There's some fantastic places over yeah. there, with, you know, T-Bones and Osteria and Blue Ribbon Sushi and – I don't know any any deals where there's thirty nine dollar surf and turf, but I'm going to ask you to send me the link on that one. I will. I saw it. I was like, man, I can't wait till we go back down there. You're going to give me that (laughs) prime rib for under forty bucks, and it looked delicious. But they said that they they said the deals are great. That link. They said the deals are great over there. Yeah, I mean, there's there's so many great restaurants in that in that casino resort, and uh, you know, we do spend time there, the the staff and head over there for for dinners on off days and it's it's just a great place well congratulations on the second half start and we appreciate the time and we will be checking in on your buffalo bills uh we'll (laughs) we'll we'll, we'll be we'll be rooting for you guys but we'll check in soon you be well always a pleasure thanks chris the great fran reardon leading his team once again do you know who you go to all i mean i think he was on all day long when you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Right? Yeah. I think he was on all day long. And he had, they put his, he came up with, they put it on a graphic. And it was phenomenal. Talking about trade deadline deals. I even wrote it down. And I've been using it. The great Dan O'Dowd joins us here on A's Cast Live again. And Dan, I hope all is well. I hope all is good with the family and the new family business. And I got to tell you, I wrote down the thing that you put together, and it blew people's minds about the prospects at the trade deadline. How are you? Chris, how are you? Good to hear you. Good to see you again, man. Thanks for having me on. No, I just I I tell people all the time, we love the ex-players. Ex-players are great, and they give you great insight. But to me, when you have somebody that has the resume from Colorado to Cleveland, all the things you've done in baseball and building teams and everything. I think it's so important that you're around, especially like the trade deadline, to add that perspective. You were on all day long. Every single time I kept going back, you were on. Uh, it was fabulous stuff. But that that what you gave us with the prospects, how many guys don't make it, 
it, it, it is truly alarming because all we sell at this time is all oh, you got right. the unknown prospect is better than the known. Yeah, you know, I think the key there is, Chris, for me, the point I was trying to get across is like we always talk about players that within the game that clubs want to acquire. You really just have to know your own players exceptionally well. And there's different lists of players within an organization. There's impact guys, there's contributors, there's value players. The impact guys, you should not trade unless you're getting back an impact player that you actually control for a while, or you're this close to being able to get into a, put yourself in a great position to go to the World Series. The rest of those guys, they're all in fair play. And yet as an industry, we hoard these prospects as if, you know, they're gold. And if you just look at the past trading deadlines for, I did it from 2013 on, there's just not many of the players that are traded that end up being impact players at the big league level. So I thought it would just give a good perspective when we talk about all the young players that are traded, how many are actually going to make an impact for the team that's inquiring them. It was great because when they because they actually used it for a couple of days. When Bob Costas the next day is putting up your graphic and and then you go, hey, this thing's powerful. I wrote it down and I've been using it. And I just think about in your career all the great players that you've been around, as we mentioned, all the different places that you've been. See, I mean, you've been around Hall of Famers. You've been around some of the greatest players. I mean, yep. would you would you do it differently if you were to do it all over again? How you dealt with prospects, star players, trading players? Would you do it differently? Well, some of the markets that I was in, Chris, um, we didn't have a lot of budgetary flexibility. So prospects ended up playing such a huge role for us because we couldn't bottom fill with the free agent market in any way, shape or form. And some of the ownership groups I was with weren't like uber aggressive at the trading deadline. They they wanted the teams built for more sustainability. Like in Cleveland, the one thing Dick Jacobs, who's a wonderful owner to work for, what he said to John Hart on all the time, he goes, you know, you guys do what you want to do, but I don't ever want to stink. So I'd love to win, but I don't want to win at all cost. And so we never really like made that Randy Johnson trade or that trade that maybe could have got us over the hump because of the depth of talent that would have cost us. Because I thought we did a really good job in evaluating our own players and started other organizations for that matter too and trying to acquire our players. And um, we just so all the ownership groups where I work for were always more about wanting to put the teams in a position each year to have a chance to play meaningful games in September, knowing October is a crapshoot. So a lot of the decisions you make as a GM, believe it or not, come from the, the overall direction of what the ownership group wants to do that you're involved with. You know what it's like to be in a really tough situation as the leader. Of oh, the yeah. Fran- yeah. I mean, you were. You're the leader of the franchise. You're the leader yeah. from the top to the bottom. David Force right now, with all the stuff going on that's out of his control, it's out of his control, and all the stuff, and Billy Bean had it. It's now been passed to David Force. Ballpark stuff, business stuff, all that. The front office has no control over that. Just tell us from what you've dealt with and just kind of stepping in the shoes of David Force, how tough it is to have all the chaos around you and you have no control. You just can focus on what you can control, and that's the baseball. Chris, that's really well said. I'm actually not even sure I can say it any better than that. Um, but, you know, the reality of it is sometimes you're just handed a deck of cards that the only thing you can do at that point in time is look down the road. With every decision you make, the reality of it is is as important as big league games are each and every night in, in David's world, because I lived that world in Cleveland 
from 88, 89, 90, 91, 92, 93. I mean, we're losing between 95 and 100 games a year. And in Colorado, in the after 2000, 2001, basically up to 2007, we were horrible. And so you just got to, you know, you, you don't, I mean, the, the losses, even though you know you're going to lose, the losses still kill you. I mean, it's just, I can't tell you how miserable losing games are from a front office perspective. But you take solace in the fact if you see progress of players that you drafted and began to develop starting to make meaningful strides in their player plan to be as good as they can be, that gives you hope. Now, what's really hard for David, which wasn't as hard for us, like in Cleveland, we knew Jacobs Field was getting, we saw the dirt being built. We, we knew it was going up. We knew how much more revenue that was going to mean to us. In Colorado, we had a beautiful venue, high attendance even when we stunk. David just doesn't even know any of that. So as he tries to time the wave of the next opening in the A's window of opportunity to win, he doesn't even know where that is. And so I can't imagine, I don't think I've ever been through with something as difficult as what David is going through right now. And I, and I just, I hope he understands that he's got like Galloff shows like he's a keeper. You know, Butler comes up and start to show some signs. Susak's had a really good year in high A. Like all of those things have to mean something to you now because you literally are fighting a losing battle night in and night out at the big league level. I know you're asked a ton about Shohei Otani will stay in division, about whether to trade him or not. Obviously, they made the decision not to trade him. Now you're going to get asked about how do you sign him, how do you, how do you go about that. And recently, we've noticed cramps. And it's yeah. in his legs, in his hands. Obviously, it's a skill set we've never seen before. It's the I don't call him the greatest player. I just say it's the greatest skill set we have ever seen. He could be one of the all-time greats, but you'd need longevity. But – it's a skill set like no other. But now, as a general manager, you have to think about that. If I'm going 10 years or whatever, and he's in his prime, and we're now dealing with cramps and dealing with fatigue, how do you factor in as a general manager, whether you're keeping him with the Angels or you're someone like the Dodgers, how, how do you factor this in? Does it scare you? Oh, it does. I mean, this is the most complicated contract, uh, I think, that uh, we could actually say in the history of the game to try to actually put a valuation number on it. I will say, Chris, I think he means more to the Angels than any other team in the game. I think they they know from a measurable standpoint exactly what their ROI is on Shohei Otani. Any other market does not know that. They know like how much this guy actually means from a revenue standpoint and what he does to that for that franchise. And so I once they made a decision not to trade him, I can't believe they can let him go. Now, he may have already made his mind up he's going to leave. But I just, once you made that decision to not acquire any talent for him at all, you almost are in a position where you got to do everything humanly possible to convince him to stay, including money. Saying that, um, I don't think you can value this contract moving forward that if you, it's a 10-year deal, I don't think he's going to be a starting pitcher for 10 years in the future. I just don't. You already see some physical wear and tear. He's a tired young man right now trying to do what he's trying to do. And fatigue leads to injury at some point in time. I said this early on. I'll say it again. I eventually seen him. To be a John Schmoltz where he'll be an everyday position player and he'd be your back-end closer because it's less wear and tear in yeah. that role than any other role in the game. But I just can't see how physically he could hold up trying to do both at the elite level that he currently does. I mean, it's just incredible how talented of an athlete this young man is. But someone's if someone pays him to be an ace of your rotation and an impact MVP-type position player at some point in time, I don't think you're going to get a return 
on that investment whatsoever. Yeah, I'm already thinking about the winter meetings and the offseason. And when I run into you in Nashville, I'm going to ask you the same question. We look at the disaster that's the New York Mets, what happened with them. We look at the San Diego Padres, the amount of money they have committed. That continues to be. And there's some rumblings that there could be some financial troubles for ownership down the way. Will this year, looking at the Padres, looking at the Mets, looking at all the shortstops that signed for that money, and I'm not sure people are happy with those contracts, will people look around and go, man, that was all a bad idea, let's not do that again, or will we fall into the same trap come this winter? I think last winter was unique. I mean, if you think about it, we went through a pandemic which dramatically affected our game, affecting the entire country and every person in it. And then we got our game back on the right footing. And then it was an unbelievable group of talented players on the market. And so I think last year was an anomaly in the sense that there was money in the game and the ownership group decided to spend it on the lead players. You're going to have to wait to see if those contracts are good or bad. It's hard to evaluate on a one-year basis. you got to look at that in the aggregate at some point in time. But, but Chris, I definitely think it's going to pause teams to think about making that kind of commitment again. And I think it's going to pause. You can't build super teams in baseball. You can't do what the NBA does because it takes 40 players, 26 that are on your roster, and they all have to kind of mesh together. It's not, like I say this all the time, I hope this makes sense to you, is it about the nine best or the best nine? Because the Padres are an example of the nine best. I mean, they're like, I mean, how my gosh, they're one of the more talented teams in the game. But when you watch them play, they don't like fit together as a team that's playing something bigger than the person they're lockering next to. And I think great teams have the ability to do that. And I, I think it's just the same thing I said when this took place, when it happened. I think, don't think you can buy a championship. I think, like, if you just take a step back with the Padres, what was wrong with Cronyworth and Kim? Kim's having an MVP year that no awesome. one even talks about. Yeah. And just say, okay, that's our shortstop and second baseman. That's the group we're going to build around. We've got the T's coming down. Let's add to the bottom of our rotation. Let's add to the middle of our bullpen. But, man, we got a really pretty good core here. To move forward with, I think there's just a danger all the time of trying to squeeze another player in, thinking that's going to get over the hump. When it, What's going to get over the hump is how the team plays together and your culture creates this environment where there's an intolerance for anything that gets in the way of losing. And when you see Soto's comment coming out of that Seattle thing, there's no nobody that's in the way of losing. No one's standing up and saying, hey, this is unacceptable. When you watch them play, there's no sense of urgency. And I just feel like people will actually look at that more this winter and pause more than even the individual money spent on contracts. You can get this kind of insight. You're going to have MLB tonight coming up. It's going to be 3 p.m. Pacific, our time. Dan is going to be on. Let's end on this. I know you've created a great company with your son that can benefit hitters, players, whether we're talking baseball, softball. we got a lot of parents that watch the show. Talk about how's the company going with your son. It's going great, Chris. I mean, like any other company, we certainly have our challenges as a startup. Um, but the difference we're making in – in kids, uh, baseball, bridging the gap between their potential and performance, been, it's just been so gratifying. And, you know, in our system now, you know, like any software company, we're developing it to the point now you can hit within our system. That The newest thing that we've run out 
I've done with my youngest son who plays at the University of Texas. It's called Live Pitch. So you can actually, you download it into your phone and then your your son or your daughter is in the, you know, the Oculus Quest 2 or soon to be Quest 3 headset. I then am the pitcher. So I can sequence my son while he is now hitting live on the field. So I can go fastball away, slider in, fastball up. So whatever I feel like he needs to work on in both his pitch recognition and his bat-to-ball ability, I am sitting in a chair while he's performing, and I'm competing with him in that bats and situations. I mean, it is so interactive. It's so emotionally cool. And, I, you know, I just feel like it's like a game changer that's never been done before. And I think we just keep making more progress and more progress and more progress. And I hope everybody realizes how much better they can get. You know, uh, he saw 77 pitches the other night in 25 minutes, and he only needed to probably see 50 in 15 minutes to get better doing it. And uh, that's what makes it really cool, Chris. Yeah, I, I, I the next wave, because we can do biomechanics. We do it in all sports, what the human body can do. The one thing that really is, you know, we can look at all the data and analytics and all that kind of stuff. It's, I, I guess, I try and stay in my lane, but it's neuroscience. It's the study of the brain and how do we eyesight in your brain and how your That's brain That's all we're reacts, doing, Chris. Right? No. That's what, what you guys about, are doing. Hitting is about the ability to map your brain, to recognize pitches as soon as you possibly can so you consistently be on time. Certainly you have to have a good swing. You know, you have to, you know, your ability to take the bat to the ball in the correct biomechanical way is so important. But it all starts with your ability to see the ball out of the hand as you have milliseconds to make a decision. So why major league hitters are so good is because they've seen thousands and thousands and thousands of pitches. And it, all that does is, is every pitch that you see maps your cortex to recognize that's a skill that you're getting good at. And the more you do it, the better you get at it. The whole foundation of our company is simply off of that, is the understanding that the more you do it, the better you're going to get at it. And the more you can do it in a competitive, real-life way, uh, the better you'll get at it, too. Is there a website people can look at? Winreality.com. I encourage everybody to go on and take a peek at it. Well, we'll promote it. Hey, it's always an honor to have you on the program. We're always smarter. Thanks, We're smarter when you come on the program. Uh, I got that's humbling, but you 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 do a pretty good job yourself. And hey, don't sleep on the Giants this year. They're the antithesis of the um, San Diego Padres. The sum of their parts are way better than their individual parts. Do you worry about their lack of innings pitched by starters? Certainly, I worry about their lack of offense over the last month of the season. But I'll tell you what, they've got the third best starting ERA in the National League. They got the second best bullpen ERA in the National League. They come. They just, and they have a winning environment, and if they never panic as an organization, and I, you know, I, I, I don't know how good enough they are to run deep into October, but I think they're going to get in October, and when Harrison gets up there, they legitimately have three good starting pitchers. Have a great show today, and let's talk Thanks, soon. Chris. Okay, buddy, good to talk to you. Bye, bye. The great Dan O'Dowd, join us here on A's Cast Live. I love talking to that guy. Do we have our World Series champion? Uh, yes, do is here. What is happening? What's up, guys? You've been coming up in conversation. I don't know. Have your ears been burning? <laughs> Everything. I'm down here in Florida, man. Everything's burning. Yeah. Man. It's hot. Well, we just had the 
A's Hall of Fame ceremony, which has really become a special thing. And Jason Giambi went in. Carney Lansford went in. Gene Tennis went in. And, you know, as we're looking, the list is, you know, because you got the guys that won the three World Series in the 70s. You got the guys in the 80s who won a World Series and went. And then you got the Moneyball guys. So we've now been thinking years from now, you know, once the era of what you guys did, you know, because Marcus Simeon was just in town, like when he retires, you're still not retired yet. We're Your name's starting to pop up as someday we might be putting <laughs> you in a green jacket and calling you an A's Hall of Famer. I don't I don't know about that. That that would be more than I deserve. But like I got selected by the fans to um, I believe it was the, the 50th anniversary team. Um, and that was an incredible honor. Um, and I think a lot of it probably had to do with the relationship that I had with the fans. I had a pretty good run in Oakland, but I think you had a damn uh, good run in Oakland. <laughs> I was very lucky. I was very, and, and, but I, I think the thing that meant the, the most to me is that, you know, it, it was, it was chosen by the fans and uh, getting to be a part of that is, is really, really special. Well, I, I think back to when you got called up and I did your first interview on the radio for the pregame show, and, <laughs> and it was just like, this is like a Disney story. I mean, you're done. You go to Keith Lippman, who just went in recently last year to the A's Hall of Fame, and you go to Lippman and go, let me pitch, and the next thing you know, you're in the big leagues pitching. I mean, you couldn't make that up. No, you couldn't, and I, I, I tell people about it still to this day, and Every time I recount the story, I'm reminded of how lucky I got and and what an absolutely surreal surreal whirlwind it was to have to have everything come together, you know, to switch to pitching in August of 2011 and debut in the big leagues in June of 2012. Um, man, like um, uh, I don't know. I, I think it's helped me maintain a, a different perspective over the course of my career because shoot, I got really lucky and, and none of this, none of this almost, it, it almost didn't happen. And, um, to still have a chance to do it, you know, uh, at my age and after, you know, some of the injuries and stuff, um, I, I, I feel really, really lucky. So where are you right now? Obviously you're in Florida. You're not going to be at this series from a health right. standpoint. Where are you? I'm, I'm, I'm getting close. Um, so, I had uh, I had a I had elbow surgery last summer. Um, I had the internal brace um, to repair my UCL, and I had a setback in spring training. Um, and I came back from that. I got sent out on a rehab assignment uh, at the end of May, early June. And while I was out on a rehab assignment, I, I partially tore a tendon in my knee, um, so I had to come back to Florida. Um, and continue rehabbing that. Um, but things are going really, really well. Um, I'm gonna, I'm set to face hitters next week. Um, so I'm looking to, um, you know, see where I can get to by the end of the season. Um, hopefully, get sent out, play some real baseball, and, um, it, you know, I'm excited about the progress that I've made and how my body's feeling now. So uh, I'm trying to finish the season on a positive note. You know, it's so interesting. We just had Mark Kotze on. He joins us every week here on A's Cast for the Mark Kotze Show. And he talked about for the young players and going back to when he was a young player, going back to the Florida Marlins back in the day, 
where he talked about it was so important for the young players to be able to finish out the season, to know what it's like just to finish a season. You were like that. But now as a veteran guy, how important is it to come back healthy and finish the season? Because obviously you still have baseball left in you. Yeah, when my body cooperates, I, I feel like I can still compete at a really high level. Um, you know, and so like I want to know, you know, I would like to get to a point before the off season, you know, that I know I can still do this. I know I can still I can still pitch. I can still get out. I can still execute and do everything that I need to do to be successful at the big league level. Um, that would be it would create a lot more uncertainty, right? If I wasn't able to make it back by the end of the season um, and was staring down another off season of rehab and, um, you know, question marks and stuff like that. Um, so the, the timing of the knee injury was really, really tough. Um, and, uh, but like I said, like the progress has been really good. It's allowed me a little bit more time to, to work on some things and, um, to get my body right, um, really dial in some mechanics, you know, coming off a of UCL surgery, like a lot of players say it's really not until that, that second season when they feel like they're really back, you yeah. know, you get everything, all that fine tuning finally sinks back up. So like, you know, a little bit more time to work on things probably wasn't the worst thing in the world. Um, so I, I just, I just said I, I'm going to put my blinders on, put my head down, and see how much progress I can make before the end of the season. You know, I, I think about your career and how you first came out of college and you were looked at as the future first baseman for the A's. So it really shows how talented you were of a baseball player that if you don't get hurt and did have the injuries, you could have hit at the big league level. That didn't work out, so you pitched at the big league level. And it's and it's so rare, right? But maybe more guys like you because of Shohei Otani now. Maybe will it? Because remember Mark Kotze? I played against Mark Kotze in college. Mark Kotze's hitting 430. Then he, yeah. com then he comes out a center field blowing 97, closing games out. But they would never give him a shot as a pitcher. Well, do you think maybe that we're so in love with Shohei Otani now that guys like yourself and Mark Kotze, who can do both, will get more of a shot now? I hope so. Um, you know, like um... – I think we're starting to see it a little bit. Some clubs are letting, you know, guys that have been drafted here in the last few years get a shot to do both, at least initially, um, and kind of keep their options open. Some, you know, they want to see, do they pull ahead developmentally wise as a hitter or a pitcher? They want to keep their options open. Um, you know, it, it's tough to manage that workload. Like the, it, it would be, I mean, Shohei makes it look a lot easier than I think it is. Um, you know, not just the mental aspect of, um, you know, preparing yourself to play at this level on both sides of the ball, but also what it, what it means um, from a physical standpoint as well. Um, there's so much work that goes in behind the scenes to be successful at the big league level. And now it's like, well, how do you prioritize and how do you manage your time while still being able to stay fresh to play, um, you know, I think it can absolutely be done. And I, I hope more guys start to get that shot. Um, I, it's just like, you know, you guys see probably Shohei more, more than me. I watch yeah. him on TV all the time. He's my favorite player. But, like, 
Um, I think he makes it look a lot easier than it is. Go pitching a complete game shutout in game one of a doubleheader and then hitting two homers in the second <laughs> game. It's just, I mean, that's high school stuff, man. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Dan O'Dowd, the former GM, and you see him on MLB Network, was on earlier. And we were talking to him because now we're starting to see a little bit of the where we are. We've already seen Tommy John surgery with him, but now as he's, you know, he's in his prime, but he's been dealing with cramps in his hands and his legs. It's a sign of dehydration and fatigue. It happens. I mean, it happened to LeBron James for a few years. And so he just wonders if it will be, and I think about yourself. If it's going to be more, probably better to have him be a reliever, kind of how John Smoltz went to be a reliever. Like, for you to be a reliever and hitter would be a hell of a lot easier probably than having to be a hitter and a starter. Would you agree with that? I think so. It's a different kind of uh, demand on the body. Um, It's uh, Obviously, you're only pitching one inning at a time, sometimes two innings at a time, but, you know, maybe you're doing it three times a week. Um, and you're, you're revving that engine from zero to a hundred, you know, really, really quickly. Um, so it, it's just a different kind of toll on your body. But I think from a time managing standpoint, yeah, it might, it might make it easier for him to do both and, and extend his career. Um, you know, I, that would be an incredibly tough decision to make because we've seen what he can do as a starting pitcher, um, and how good he is. Um, so I, I wouldn't want to be the one to make that decision. I, I think, you know, he's so good um, that there's a number of different ways that he can be able to adapt and continue to find a way to do both. You know, one thing that I've always known about athletes, like the toughest thing to do is is to rehab because it's very lonely. You're buying your, by yourself. The one thing that, you know, as you mentioned, you can go back to high school, go back to Little League, Pony League, Colt League, whatever league. One of the things that we always love is our teammates and being around it and being in uniform just mentally how tough is it when you're just away from everything and rehabbing is just working out? Yeah, it, it can be really difficult. Like you said, because you want to be with the boys, you want to be, you know, working with them every day. You want to be competing. You want to be in the trenches with them. And, you know, even when you're around the team um, and you're on the injured list, it can still be tough because you, you're putting a ton of work in yourself, but you're not going through it with them. Um, and you can feel a little bit disconnected from the team. Um, but you have to find, you have to find the silver lining in it. You know, you have to look at it like, all right, this is a chance for me to, you know, come back even stronger and make an adjustment. This, you know, baseball is such a game of adjustments. You know, if you can go back and break things down and say like, well, okay, well, can I move a little bit more efficiently? Can I add some more strength? Um, do I change my repertoire as a pitcher, you know, so I can maybe have some more efficient innings? Um, you know, find find something that, you know, you can really sink your teeth into uh, and work on every day so that you can come back better. And I think as an athlete, you have to, you have to be able to love that process. It's an absolute grind, mentally especially. Um, but you have to be able to get to a place where you can really embrace it and, um, you know, really fall in love with that process. You know, Lawrence Butler, one of our big time prospects is coming up today. He's going to be starting in right field and we got a lot of the prospects up just Mm -hmm. as someone has come up as one of those type guys. What really is the key when you first get to the big leagues, when everything's going so fast and, oh, my God, the crowds. 
What, what's, what's, what's like some advice you would give some of our young players who are just coming up for the first time? Um, I would say, I would say, um, keep things as, keep things as close to whatever routine you had, you know, in the minor leagues, as far as your preparation goes, um, keep that as close to the same as you can, you know, recognize that there's going to be more adrenaline. There's going to be nerves. That's normal, you know, but it doesn't mean that you have to try harder or do more, you know, that, that extra adrenaline that you get, you know, from running out onto a big league field is going to take just that by itself is going to take your game and, and raise it another level. You know, we start getting in trouble as athletes, when we feel that adrenaline rush and then we start trying to do even more and force the issue. Um, and that's when we get outside ourselves. That's when we start pressing, um, you know, recognize that you're going to feel, you're going to feel some nerves. Um, you're probably not going to be able to feel your legs for, uh, for a little bit, right. When the game starts. Um, but that's part of it, man. Like everybody went through it. So we all know what's going on. Um, you know, um, just, you know, look around, take a second to look around, embrace it. You know, you're, you're in the big leagues, you're there. And like, you know, do everything that you can do from a preparation standpoint, from a learning standpoint, um, to soak it in as much as you possibly can. You know, great A's always find their way back. It's, uh, it's incredible (laughs) how many times Ricky Henderson came back to the A's. I'm not going to be shocked because I think about your relationship you mentioned the fans. You mentioned the community, what the community meant to you, your wife, your growth. Uh, I'm not going to be shocked that when it's all said and done, we can see you back here in Oakland. And I know how much these fans, and these fans have been hurting lately. There's no question about it and how much these fans mean to you. Yeah, I mean, you know, shout out to the fans. I, 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 they've been um, They've been incredible, I think, this season, especially – um, you know, showing their support and making their voices heard. Um, I know there's some going to the game tonight in 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 Washington D.C. and I know they're going to have support from from Nats fans there as well. Um, but yeah, I don't know. Uh, I don't know what the future has in store for me. Um, I know that Oakland um, will always have a, a very very special place in in my heart. Um, and you know, same thing for my wife. Um, that's where I grew up. Um, that's where I got a chance to establish myself in the big leagues. I had an incredible connection with the fans. Um, and that's the first thing I talk about, man. Whenever, whenever anybody asks me about Oakland, they're like, what's it like over there? Because I think, you know, people recognize it's a little bit different. And, uh, I'm like, man, like, you know, the fans are awesome. Like I think back to those teams in 12, 13, 14, um, the connection we had with the fans, the support we got from the community was so cool. Um, and, you know, even, you know, the Coliseum, uh, whatever you want to say about the actual building itself, like they made it a fun place to play. And, um, you know, so shout out to the fans, shout out to the guys on the team right now. I think, you know, having to navigate a big league season, there's so many young guys on the team. Um, or guys getting their first shot to establish themselves. And it can be tough, you know, uh, keeping the blinders on and staying focused with, you know, some of the noise that's been going on in the background for them. And um, so I I think they've handled it 
they seem to have handled it well. Um, you know, there's good people in Oakland, and um, I love being, you know, connected with the organization and the fan base. Well, that's why I think when we talk about the future, you know, at some point you will not play, and then you're going to come up on the ballot and fans vote for part of it. I also think of what we do at, like, fantasy camp, uh, special advisor. I just I, – I have a feeling <laughs> – I have a feeling – you somehow, some way, because of your connection with this franchise, uh, you'll be a, a, a part of the A's family for a long time. I I, I don't know what it, what's in store, but like I, like I said, like I I think when I'm done, I want to stay around the game um, some way somehow, and and um, you know continue to maybe work with with younger guys, with players, um, or or be an ambassador for the game itself. Um, I don't know what's in store, but, you know, Oakland is always going to be where, where I got my start. And, you know, um, you know, I'm proud to have worn the green and gold for sure. You're the best, my friend. Be well. Can't wait to see you back on the mound. You know we're always going to be rooting for you. And I hope everything will go well for you down there in Florida, and we'll talk soon. Thank you, guys. Thanks for having me. The great Sean Doolittle right here on A's Cast Live. Welcome here to Ace Cast Live Hall of Fame edition with one of the greatest pitchers in the history of the game, one of the greatest athletics of all time, Dennis Eckersley. And Eck, you look money in your green blazer. How good does that feel? I like this color, doesn't yeah. it? Yeah. Looks good with a pan working. Oh, huh? yeah. <laughs> it's kind of nice. You know, I think about Carney Lansford going in, and I think about you also as a guy that grew up in the Bay Area, who grew up, and obviously we got Giants, and I know you grew up like the Giants too, but yeah. you grew up watching these great A's players, a guy like Gene Tennis. You grew up, those teams won three straight, and to be an A's Hall of Famer, what does that mean to you? It's so strange, you know, because I was talking to Gino uh, Tennis and, and uh, reminiscing about, I remember this, remember that, remember yeah. this. My first start in the big leagues, I was with Cleveland, was against the Oakland A's. Wow. 1975, and then we went back to that. Next thing you know, we're talking about free agency. We're talking about, you know what I mean? Yeah. And they have set so many stories to talk about those 70s. You know, that that's when the game was on on ready to flip, if you think about it. Talking about Finley, how he, you know, ran the organization and how they got out, you know, member free agency. Yeah, yeah. And so, anyway, uh, just reminiscing. And, and now I think about, you know, we had our part. I mean, there's so much history, you know, it went from, the 70s to us 80s early 90s and the early 2000s i mean a lot's gone on here and uh i i, I just feel lucky to be part of it because this was probably if this was the most enjoyable you know happiest time of my life thinking about playing for the oakland a's coming back to town my parents coming to the games i mean it was That's awesome it was it was <laughs> yeah. heaven I mean, I could really appreciate And you guys that. are rock stars. Like, a lot of people, and we like to let our younger fans, because, I mean, obviously, people my generation, I was in high school at the time, and you guys were just, you guys, you just couldn't walk into a hotel. You guys were like yeah. a rock star team. You had, whether you're talking about Ricky and Jose right. and Stu and yourself and Dave Parker. I mean, you guys had rock star teams. Yeah. Oh, how about this? This shows you we are straight on the field. The no, I'm fine. So just what was that experience like when you come back and you guys are now larger than life going to three straight World Series? I don't know. It's weird. It's like it never happened sometimes, you know. Uh, but then I could get back into it when I see people. When I see Dave here and there a lot anyway, guys I used to play with. Um, we, I mean, I was part of this, you know, to me, I thought it was a 
I thought it was a mini dynasty, but you know, we did only one once. But uh, looking back, I mean, I always said I was just proud to be in Oakland A, you know, whether or not when we went on there, I can't remember. You know, when you're in the middle of it and being a part of something like that, there's always the pressure of having to do it again every day, every day. You never enjoy it. Now is the time when you look yeah. back. But when you're in the middle of it, you're not thinking you're styling. Boy, we are special, aren't we? No, we got to do it today. You know, there's always that pressure. Let's end on this because I, I want to let you celebrate this. You you know, we we think about having your name retired here. And I think about your then your career as a broadcaster. You've now retired. Your send off in Boston was something really special. I mean, it was like, wow, it was like tear jerking yeah. how much they loved you. They love just how honest you were, how honest you were about yourself. Because we're not, we're not, a lot of people are not used to a broadcaster and a former player and a Hall of Famer being this honest, right? Yeah. What was that send off emotionally like for you where basically New England gave you all that love? I mean, it was really special. It really was. As you know, I mean, I was so emotional. Yeah. I'm so emotional to begin with. Uh, but when it's over, it's over, you know? And I was, I remember I was thinking back to that time just recently and thinking about, Oh, God, what am I going to say? I mean, it just has to, you know, you just have to, there's moments like that that just have to happen, and you just got to go with it. Uh, and I was lucky enough to, you know, play so long and then go into the booth, and um, you got to be so careful being in that booth, but if you're too careful, you're not going to, you know, say what needs to be said. So anyway, to be appreciated like that in Boston, and I was there for a long, long time, uh, those people love baseball, and uh, I don't know. I just, they were nice to me, man. They just were, and I, I, I greatly appreciated it. Well, I, it's always an honor to have you on. We truly appreciate it. Congratulations on retirement. I know you got the grandkids, and uh, you earned everything. As You're one of the greatest pitchers of all time. More importantly, you're an ace Hall of Famer. It means so much yes. to our fans when you come back. It means a lot to me. It really does. It always will be, and I'm in the Bay Area now, so I'm back home. Got it. Great stuff. You got it. The great Dennis Eckersley. Welcome back to A's Cast Live Hall of Fame Edition. We're here with the greatest of all time, Ricky Henderson. On days like this, it's so special to bring in new guys into this A's Hall of Fame. What's it like for you to welcome people into this club? Oh, it's a great thing to welcome people in the club, but it's a great thing that you play with a lot of these guys, and you know what they went through, you know what they mean to you as well as the team, and getting into the Hall of Fame. It's just a great honor for our organization. To me, organization used to do things like that. It's great for our organization to do things like that, to bring the people back that did something for them, that did something for the city. You know, when I think about you growing up here in Oakland in the 70s teens and a guy like Gene Tennis coming in who won three straight World Series, what's it like? And, of course, we're celebrating Vita Blue also. What is it like for you, these guys coming in now to the Hall of Famer, guys that you grew up watching? It's great. They give them a chance to, you know, like you said, mean a lot to the for, for the team to bring in the Hall of Fame, to bring the guys back. The guys that, like you said, when I look up, I get to meet them, I get to see them, I get to sit down and talk to them a lot more. Uh, enjoy their company about what baseball was. But baseball was great to me in the 70s. Like I used to sneak into yeah. the fence. <laughs> you just look at the baseball game. Yeah. So it was a lot of fun for the kids. And of course, Carney Lansford and you played together. You won a championship together. He hit behind you before you went to New York. And then once you came back from New York, talk about Carney Lansford as a teammate. 
he was a great teammate. He was a hard player. He understand the game. He played the game the right way. He was a leader. You know, when things go wrong, he'd speak up. He wanted everybody to go out and, and give their best, no matter what happens. And uh, he broke, see, like the bunch together as a family, and, and we understood one another. We knew what we wanted to go do out of the field. So everybody had a part. You think about those teams that you have. We're just talking to Dennis Eckersley, also an Ace Hall of Famer. You know, when you guys, when you came back, the team was like a group of rock stars. You went to three straight World Series. You won one. We always joke that you guys couldn't just walk into the hotel. You had to go through the back. I mean, it was like a traveling rock band. When you look back at those times, just how do you feel that you guys were, I mean, truly were great? Man, we, we could, like you said, we had to go in the back way to get in. We had father, we had people who that enjoyed us playing the game. So it was, spe we were, it was special to the people, it was special to us to just have that feeling going into a, a city or going into a hotel there. You know, you know the people's out there back. You know the people's following you, they pulling for you. What do you remember about Jason Giambi? <laughs> Jason Giambi, uh, things I'd probably say, you know, he was, he was, a, he was a young kid when I, when I was up here, when he first came in. And I, I think me and him uh, got together with Clay as a, as a player, as a person. That's just a, and me and him had a great time together. We were a tight friend. And, uh, you know, he was one of the special guys to me. Let's end on this because we want you to be able to get ready and celebrate with the guys. Now that we talk about people stealing more bases, your name is brought up more than ever lately, talking about want to see more people play like Ricky Henderson. What does that mean to you all these years later? We're talking about we need more of what you brought to the game. Oh, man. <clears throat> I think, it's, you know, when they go about and say they need more of, of, of people, of players that played the game the right way, I would say it like that. Uh, it makes it exciting, you know, and, and to me, when it's a, they said they need more people to, uh, to play the game like Ricky, it's based upon, uh, you know, making things happen. And I think this year, to me, I saw a lot of different in, in the kids that's playing the game. Now they seem like they're a little bit more looser. They run in a lot more, and you can sit in the stands and look at the game and enjoy the game. Maybe a couple of years ago, I was getting bored of the game. I said, that ain't the way I played the game. So uh, it's a lot more exciting now, and I'm, I'm happy that, you know, they changed the game mostly all the way back to where it used to be, and, game, and kids and stuff like that going to do the fundamental of the game and play the game. Well, I know A's fans, they'd love to have you back. It means a lot. When Eck comes back and you see Raleigh Fingers and you see the great players and you see not only Ace Hall of Famers, but Baseball Hall of Famers, it means a lot when you come back to the fans. And we always love having you on Ace Cast Live. Thanks so much for the time. Enjoy the day. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. The great Ricky Henderson. All right. This has been a presentation of the Oakland Athletics.